Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. DNZ. Yes, good morning. It is three past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. My last day in the chair. Smithy will be back for you tomorrow. All going well after his flight back from Australia late last night. And uh, yeah, you'll have, it'll be, it'll be, the regular show will resume, but uh, today, what do we got coming up? Well, we are going to be talking shortly to Dan O'Hagan, who's a freelance football commentator, does all the uh, Bundesliga World Feed games, you will have heard him, and on championship matches as well. We're going to talk about the Champions League group stage matches this week, plus what's happening with the Premier League matches uh, this weekend following the passing of the Queen and the funeral uh, state funeral that's coming up early next week. Also, we'll do some talk back this hour as well. Open the phones up. Uh, Natalie Lawrence has been named the new head coach of the Wellington Phoenix women's team after Gemma Lewis, who was the inaugural season coach, left to take up a role back in her native Wales uh, with the Welsh FA there. We've got a panel for you too with Graham Beasley and Reuben Bradley. We'll be talking rugby, tennis, rugby league and the all-whites. We'll also catch up with uh, Louis Herman Watt for some love racing. Brendan Popperwell for a TAB update, and David Nika, the Kiwi boxer as well. He and Hemi Ahio will be on the undercard of the George Cambosis Jr. fight in October. It's going to be shown live to air, free to air on TVNZ. We're also going to catch up with Shiraz Soysa as well. He is the head coach of the New Zealand national flag football team. Uh, he's going to join us to talk some NFL. Week one of the NFL, one game left today. The Broncos take on the Seahawks. We'll get his take on that and on the weekend. And uh, the All Blacks team naming and reaction. We'll do a bit of that a little bit later on as well. So that is what you've got coming up with Mornings with Ian Smith here on SENZ. Rugby has the Bledisloe Cup. Cricket has the Chapel Hadley series and Rugby League has had, well, until 2019 at least, uh, the Anzac Test. With the announcement of the All-White squad for our Trans-Tasman fixtures this month against Australia, I got to thinking, why isn't this an annual or at least biannual fixture? FIFA has six 10-day windows every year and not all of those windows are for world or regional qualifying matches. There's plenty of room, if the appetite is there, for this fixture to become a regular occurrence. And things have changed over the last 10 years too. Australia are no longer the dominant force they were with names like Kiel, Viduka and Cahill, so this won't be a meeting of the plucky underdog neighbour. 
In Chris Wood, Liberato Kikache, Sarpreet Singh and Matt Garbutt, we have four players contracted to clubs in the biggest leagues in Europe. What would it do for the game here and for the rivalry with the Aussies to have these games happen on a regular basis? Football is the biggest sport in the world, the global game. The sponsorship dollars will be there for it, and if ticket sales for Eden Park are anything to go by, so was the appetite from the fans. I remember my dad taking me to all the qualifying games for the 1982 World Cup at Mount Smart Stadium and running on the field to get Grant Turner's autograph after that epic three-all draw against the Socceroos. It stoked the fire of fandom in me, a passion for football that's still there today. So let's make it happen for the next generation too. It's seven past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Joining us now out of the UK is uh, football commentator, journalist uh, Dan O'Hagan. G'day, Dan. How you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you doing yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's all been uh, thrown up in the air uh, in your part of the world, hasn't it, with the passing of the Queen? I mean, from a, uh, you know, taking that out of it, from a work point of view, it must have been uh, throwing your schedule. Uh, you know, sort of uh, around a lot last weekend with the the cancellation of all the games. Yeah, I mean, I, luckily, I mean, for me, I, I don't work too much at the moment on English football, so I was working on, on the Bundesliga, which went ahead. But uh, certainly colleagues of mine, they saw their entire kind of working weekends wiped out. Um, obviously, uh, a very, very sad uh, few days in this country. But, uh, yeah, football completely stopped this weekend. And uh, I think there's a degree of surprise that football was uh, so quickly taken away. Uh, but I think people, for the most part, understand why. Well, yeah, I mean, just on that, I mean, because we looked at it from this point of view over here, of course, you know, uh, Bryn McCullum is the coach of the England cricket team, and they just had one day off, and then they were back into it. And I think most other sports were the same. They had a day stand down, back into it. And from what I understand, the UK government gave the FA the OK to go ahead with games on the weekend. So why do you think they didn't? I think a reason now is policing. I think because there are such huge crowds for the Queen's coffin and uh, uh, you know, you look at the crowds now outside Buckingham Palace, um, almost 24-7, those crowds need policing. So um, football games do need a large police presence. And right now we don't have the numbers of police officers to be able to uh, police both. So I think um, football has kind of said, okay, um, if you can't, offer the numbers to police our games safely and, and properly, then we'll just not play. Um, so I think a major reason is the lack of numbers in our police force now, which is why uh, football, maybe and not the other sports, was the one that uh, got cancelled last weekend. So that, that got cancelled last weekend. We're in a, a year which is truncated because of the World Cup. Um, you know, everything wraps, what, about the 10th of November, I think, to, to allow the World Cup to take place. So a shortened season. Uh, between now and then, all those top Premier League clubs who are in Europe were going to be playing two games a week anyway. How are they going to fit these postponed games in? No idea, to be honest with you. It's, as you say, it's a very strange football calendar now with the um, mid-season World Cup coming up. An idea of mine would be maybe the FA Cup. Do you scrap all replays? I know, uh, I think it's from the, is it the, the fifth round onwards now? There are no replays anyway, but maybe for the third and fourth round, you say, okay, no replays. Um, do you maybe see clubs pull out of the League Cup? 
um, from the Premier League. Um, because at the moment, there, there is no wiggle room. There is no space. There's no free week now to get um, games played. So it, it, it is a problem. And um, I think the cup competitions will be the ones that kind of bear the brunt of teams either pulling out or, or playing weakened teams just to get their league games in. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to cause uh, a lot of problems for those clubs, just having the one game postponed. But now we're looking at uh, this week in Europe. Arsenal have had their game against PSV postponed due to policing problems. And this weekend in the Premier League, Liverpool's game at Chelsea and Manchester United's game against Leeds have both also been postponed. So all of a sudden, you know, Arsenal have got a European game to make up. Who knows what UEFA are going to make of that? And also, uh, you know, we're talking about Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United, three teams potentially could be involved in a title race or a top four race at least, um, are going to be two games behind everyone else. Yes, and that's a problem as well. Do you then try and get these games in after the, the World Cup um, when games will be coming thick and fast anyway? So it's a real problem. And as you mentioned there, the Champions League, um, it's obviously the Queen dying is a UK thing. Mm. Um, UEFA, um, they won't postpone or rearrange or, or make special um, exceptions for English clubs. They want the games played. So it's a level playing field. So the teams in the groups with Arsenal and other English clubs are on the kind of same page. So I don't know how we're going to tackle this because it's going to be, uh, there's going to be an almighty log jam of games um, in all competitions. And it's going to take a hell of a lot of sorting out. Is there, was there any talk, any um, floating of the idea of maybe playing games this weekend in front of empty stadiums um, just to get the games done and so you didn't need the policing? No, I've not seen that at all. I think certainly we had enough of empty stadiums during the whole COVID thing. So I think football wants to steer as far clear of that again as possible. But um, it would be a, a solution, of course. Um, but I think clubs want to get games on in full stadiums and get them played when best they can. But right now, looking at the upcoming weeks and the football um, calendar, it's just so hard because this year, it's it, it's a freakish year. There is no wiggle room. There is no free space to get these games played. So it's going to put enormous demands on the players to be playing at some point, I imagine, you know, two, three, four games a week. And um, yeah, those games have to get played somewhere, but we'll just see where. It's an interesting one. I mean, I guess the EFA and the Premier League can look after their own a wee bit, and you can, like you say, push those games to the other side of the World Cup where maybe they can find some room. But from a European point of view, I think UEFA were very clear on wanting to make sure the group stages of the Europa League and the Champions League were done by the time everybody went to the World Cup. Uh, is there a chance that Arsenal just have to default this game? I guess that would be a solution. Obviously, Arsenal wouldn't want to do that, and, you, and UEFA as well would want the game to be played, of course. But as you say, you can't go into the World Cup with a group stage not complete because it's not just Arsenal affected, it's the other three teams in that section. So there has to be a way of getting a solution here which is fair to all parties. And if that was to mean Arsenal have to forfeit this game just to make sure um, the group is complete and the schedule is complete, then I'm afraid so be it. 
Uh, we should look ahead, uh, Dan, to um, tomorrow because I don't think we're going to get any solution uh, in the next little while from UEFA or from the FA on on how this goes. But we do have uh, a bunch of midweek Champions League games, a second round of games, and um, I guess for the teams that are playing away from home, not such a biggie in terms of you know Spurs. Um, managing to get away uh, to play in Portugal. They are a team that, well, I was going to say they're a team, but really it's a manager, isn't it? It's a manager in Antonio Conte that has a very scratchy record when it comes to Europe. Uh, when he was at Inter, he failed to get them out of the group at any point. It didn't do very well in Europe with Juventus either. So it's a real test for him with the Spurs side and what looks like quite a winnable group. It does. I think match day one, they were helped out by Marseille getting a, a red card. It was goalless when the uh, I think Chancellor Bemba was sent off in the second half and Spurs went on to win uh, 2-0. But uh, yeah, you're right. On paper, that is a very nice group. Um, I'm actually working on the Marseille-Frankfurt game tomorrow night um, in that group. But um, yeah, Spurs should come through that group. The, the way to Sporting um, tomorrow, Sporting had a good win on match day one away in Frankfurt. But I think Frankfurt in that group, the, the, they're a club almost in crisis, you know, four months on from winning the Europa League, the club's almost in free fall. So I think take them out of the equation and, you know, Spurs should come through this group. Um, they've got Frankfurt back-to-back next in terms of the uh, match days three and four. So that should be six points for Spurs to uh, build on, you know, what's already been quite a strong start for Conte. Mm. And that, you, that Marseille team's an interesting team, isn't it? I mean, they've got Eric Bailly obviously on loan there from Manchester United, but a lot of players in that squad come from, teams who have been, you know, the big rivals of Spurs in the Premier League. I think, you know, um, uh, Tavares and Guendouzi, ex-Arsenal players, Payet, ex-West Ham player. It certainly made for a pretty tasty fixture. I think the, the, uh, that reverse fixture back in France later on is going to be interesting. Alexis Sanchez, of course, too, with mm. Marseille now. So, yeah, as you say, some some kind of uh, very, very common bonds there between uh, Spurs and uh, and former rivals in the Premier League. But yeah, Marseille this season are a very exciting team. They've had their best ever league start. They've dropped just two points. They're matching PSG uh, point for point at the moment in uh, Ligue 1. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think Marseille will certainly push Spurs that they were last week until the red card in the second half. So yeah, I mean, I think looking at that group on paper, I think certainly maybe Spurs and Marseille, the two who, who you might fancy to come through it. Yeah, I think uh, that sounds right, mate. Uh, the, probably the biggest game tomorrow for me is Bayern Munich versus Barcelona and the return of Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> um, obviously, that's, uh, that that will be generating a lot of a lot of press. But Bayern haven't been going particularly well in the Bundesliga, have they? I mean, they've dropped points the last two games. They've had a couple of draws against teams you'd expect them to beat. Last three games, three draws on the spin against uh, Gladbach, Union Berlin, and this weekend against um, Stuttgart. So. Yeah, those are the three games they, you know, you would think they would normally win and win quite well. What I would say about Bayern is they are making chances. I think across all those matches, they that they've made enough chances to win them. I know in the Gladbach game, they uh, the Gladbach goalkeeper Jan Zoma made a record 19 saves in one game, which gives you some idea as to how Bayern battered them. But for some reason, right now that the goals aren't going in, of course they've lost uh, Robert Lewandowski, but the players they've still got there, you know, uh, Leroy Sané, Sadio Mane, Thomas Müller. Uh, they can still score goals, but for some reason right now, it's just not going in. But Bayern will, will, will 
click at some point, but right now there's one or two kind of gremlins in the machine almost. Yeah, I mean, they haven't replaced Lewandowski with an out-and-out nine, have they? Mane's ten, tends to be more of a wide forward. Um, I thought in Bundesliga they would be okay. It would be games like this that they might get found out not having a, a true out-and-out nine. Um, it's interesting, the market here has Bayern at eighty. Uh, Barcelona at three sixty and the draw at four twenty. I'm all over the draw looking at this because that Barca team is starting to click. It certainly is. I think uh, Barcelona have had a very good start uh, in Spain this season, and uh, as I say, yeah, Bayern for some reason right now it's not entirely um, functioning properly. And they have a very small squad. Uh, Nagelsmann likes to work with a small group of players, but I think the options to kind of change and freshen things up aren't really there. And as you say, they didn't sign a proper number nine when Lewandowski left the club. And that, you know, will that come back to be maybe a, an error in hindsight? But at the moment, for some reason, in the league games, they just can't kill teams off. Mm, yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm looking forward to that game. Also looking forward to seeing how Liverpool bounce back after, you know, the hiding they took in Naples. Um, I, I mean, I've, I think 4-1 flattered them in the end. Uh, certainly some work to do for Liverpool. They play an Ajax team who made short work of Rangers as well. So this isn't going to be an easy game back at Anfield. Certainly not. Um, obviously, Ajax in the summer lost players. Uh, the likes of Anthony have uh, have moved on. But yeah, Liverpool's season has begun shakily. Um, I, like you, I watched that game against Napoli. In the, in the first half, it could have been four, five, six goals. Mm. Um, Napoli were that much better. Liverpool just couldn't contain them. I'm not seeing the Liverpool team defend that badly for a long, long, long time. Um, obviously, this game now, uh, tomorrow night, they're at home to Ajax. Ajax are a team in transition coming from one of the weaker leagues in Europe and you'd fancy Liverpool to win this one but um, the way they've gone about this season you can't take that for granted I don't think uh, tomorrow night. Now I wonder whether or not Jurgen Klopp should look at um, changing his system uh, just a little just to, to overcome some of those deficiencies I mean if I think about Liverpool I think the, the midfield looks it lacks depth and, and it lacks real quality and I think Trent Alexander-Arnold I mean if you want to get at Liverpool you just you just wait uh, for a transition in, um, in possession and you and you hit behind where the right back position would be because he's never in position so I mean if they went to a 3-4-3 for example you're only having to play two in midfield and your wing backs um, sort of have a little bit of cover by having a three-man cent- cent- central defence. For me, that kind of might work. Do you, do you see Klopp making those kind of changes? I don't think Klopp's ever played that way. I think it, it's asking a lot for a coach who's maybe you know got his methods and has, has used them for a long, long time to, to, to make a big change like that for a game of this size is doubtful. People talk about Klopp and, and Dortmund. It was the seventh season there where it all began to unravel. And, of course, he's had the same time now at Liverpool. It's begun to fall apart. So maybe you're seeing there a coach at the end of his natural um, tenure with the football club. He's done a wonderful job at Liverpool. Let's not forget that. You know, Premier League, Champions League success. Brilliant. But at the moment, for some reason, it's not working. Whether it was recruitment or whether the tactics just aren't working at the moment. Um, but I think Liverpool just need... Um, you know, to find some consistency again, because no doubt they've got a great squad on paper, but as you say, maybe a bit thin in the midfield. But players certainly who can still, um, on their day, be very, very effective at the moment, it's just not working for them. Now, the other game in that group is Rangers at Ibrox against Napoli, but it's been pushed back a day, um, which means in the UK there's actually only one Champions League game on tomorrow, and the the following day there's obviously an extra game. Have they pushed that game out a day just because the Queen's been in state in Scotland and they need to free up Scottish police resources, do you know? 
I believe that's the case, yes. Um, obviously, uh, the Queen's been uh, lying in state in Scotland the last couple of days. And again, the crowds there have been absolutely enormous. And obviously, those crowds need policing. So, yeah, I think the same thing. Um, so that's the reason why I think uh, the games in London this coming weekend are going to be the ones most in doubt because of the uh, demands on the police services. Yeah, well, you've got uh, Chelsea at home, uh, Manchester City at home, and now Rangers at home all on Thursday morning New Zealand time. So it's going to make for some interesting times, and uh, it's certainly going to stretch things for the UK police. And, uh, of course, Rangers have it all to do at the moment too, don't they, Dan? I mean, the 4-0 loss to Celtic, backed up by that 4-0 loss uh, in Holland against an Ajax team, as you said, that you know has lost, what, five big pieces? Yeah, and the it was the Celtic game which hurts most, of course. To lose the old firm game in the manner they did, um, that almost kind of set the tone for what's gone on since. Um, and it'll be tough tomorrow. Obviously, Napoli, we saw against Liverpool, a team who uh, can attack and can make things happen and are great to watch. So it'll be, as always at Ibrox, uh, an amazing atmosphere. But the way Napoli are playing and the way Rangers are playing... You can't really look too far beyond, I'm afraid, uh, a win for the Italians. Yeah, and a big one too, probably, you'd have to think. All right, Dan, hey, listen, thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, really good to chat to you and you to clear some of those things up and give us some insight of what's happening in the UK at the moment. But before I do let you go, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, t- today in the US, they're celebrating National Video Games Day, um, <laughs> which is so very American. Uh, but, I mean, as... Uh, as a football fan, I'm picking, what, Football Manager, FIFA? What was your go-to? What was your favourite sports video game of all time? Well, right now, I'm playing Football Manager. That's my poison at the moment. But um, when I was when I was growing up, so this would have been late 80s, early 90s, um, things like the first, game, the first FIFA games, uh, Kick-Off 2 on the Amiga was fantastic. Um, Emlyn Hughes International Soccer, um, all those games. I mean, they look really basic now when you go back and play them again. They don't quite hold water, but uh, when you you know when you're a kid of ten, eleven, twelve years old, those are just the best games in the world. Yeah, they are indeed, mate. They are indeed the memories. The memories. You can go dig that out now that we've finished down and have a play. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, mate. Dan O'Hagan there with us, uh, football commentator out of the UK. It is 24 past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. It's 29 past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Paul in for you for the final day before Smithy is back on board. Keep your text firing through, double eight double three double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. As I said to Dan O'Hagan, in the US today, they are celebrating National Video Games Day. What's your most memorable video sports game of all time? What's the one that uh, will always stick with you and your memories of it? Get those through to us on double eight double three. We're also not that far away from an All Blacks squad being announced for uh, the game against the Aussies, the Wallabies, on Thursday night in Melbourne. Who have you got? How do you think that team is going to line up? Let us know, double eight, double three. We're going to be back with your calls, your texts after this, the latest in news and sport with Aroha Hathaway. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811.
28 away from 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Ricardo Ball in for you. He will be back tomorrow. Smithy, that is. A uh, couple of texts through on double eight double three. Uh, Chris has said Rugby 08 was his go-to video game. And this is on the back of it being National Video Games Day in the US. So we're talking about... Your most memorable sports video game of all time uh, and some of the memories that go along with that. Uh, Dave has also said, Morning, Ricardo. Space Invaders, $20, uh, 20 cents a game. Wasn't that a, uh, wasn't that good at video games, to be honest? Cheers, Dave. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I feel you, Dave. I was always, uh, when it comes to sports games, Probably Football Manager was, was, was my go-to. But when it came to the arcade games at the Dairy or the Takeaways, I was a big fan of Gallagher. And Double Dragon. I thought you were going to say, you look like a Street Fighter guy to me, but Gallagher is a great shout. Uh, and I'm with Dave there, Space Invaders, 20 cents a game. Th- those were the days when you could just shell out 20 cents in the, into the machine and play a whole bunch. And then things climbed to a dollar a game, two dollars a game, and now it's just like, well, why bother? You, you just you play got them on your phone. Yeah, well, exactly. Or, you know, if you've got a kid or whatever, you go to the arcade and you play the ones that get the tickets and you can get, you know, potentially, if you're good enough, you might get a prize. Uh, Chris, Rugby 08 is a great shout, arguably uh, considered probably the best rugby union video game of all time. Better than Jonah Lomu, because Jonah Lomu gets a lot of love. That's the thing. Jonah Lomu Rugby is my personal favourite because I have a lot of memories attached to that game. You know, he's running like a demented mole and, you know, (laughs) such classic lines like that. And you unlock the the team that's full of Jonas, just 15 Jonas, and you just steamroll your opponent. (laughs) It was amazing. Those are good times on the old PlayStation 1 and... Uh, we've got a number, another text here on the Temper Beer Post uh, text machine here, Ricardo. No name attached, but Colin McRae Rally. Oh, yeah. Also, that was awesome. Very ahead of its time. And I'm pretty sure New Zealand was included on that as well. Yeah, so. the PS1, that was the old PS1 game. That was uh, because the World Rally New Zealand used to be a regular mm. annual event. We didn't share it with Aussie or skip a couple of years like we do now. Yeah, in any video game that includes New Zealand uh, has uh, my take, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, perhaps the most exciting rally driver game ever. Apparently gone way too soon. Uh, Tekken from Kyle. Uh, don't know if that's sport. I suppose it's martial arts-ish. It's sport adjacent. God of War series, definitely not. But uh, but fair enough. I kind of like those kind of games too. But uh, you keep them coming through. Of course, it is a National uh, Video Games Day. What was your go-to video game, sports video game, uh, and your memories from that? Uh, Cyrus was another one. And Defender. I'm just showing my age now. You really are. But I do love Gallagher. Uh, one thing that came across to us um, over on Twitter that you brought up in the, in the ads, Ricardo, you know, you're a big man of your rugby league, and of course, we love Des Hasler, right? Mm. And they were going to put Seagulls wanted to have him for two more years. Now there's the potential that might not happen. Yeah, yeah it's just coming out of uh, the Daily Telegraph in Australia reporting that Des Hasler might just walk away. He's uh, had enough of the club, and obviously, there's a lot going on internally at that club. The way they finished the season, the old rainbow jersey issue that they had, um, and uh, yeah, it's been now announced that uh, Des Hasler could walk away from the Manly Seagulls. So um, yeah, if that happens, where do Manly go? Which which coach will they will they get? Do they go back to Tuvi? Who is around? Is I mean Trent Barrett signed up to be number two to Brad Arthur at the Seagulls uh, at the Eels, so he won't be going back to the Seagulls. Um, yeah, it's it's a head scratcher. All I can think if Jeff Tuvi returns, 
mm-hmm. the memes that'll come around that. Like, just, I mean, he's iconic, right? <laughs> well, mate, honestly, there'll have to be an investigation. I'll just say that. There'll have to be an investigation. Absolutely. And look, I'm just, I'm just going to point this out here. This, this really, you guys that are listening in now and texting us on double eight double three with, you know, your favorite sports or racing video games of all time, making my day. I love this. Jimmy, NHL 94 was great. Uh, the NHL series has really taken a dive. No pun intended there. Uh, <laughs> Destruction Derby 2. I remember that from the PlayStation. That was hectic. Anything was, we, was anything that just like dodgems, basically? Basically just smash the crap out of your car, mate. Right, okay. Any, any game like that is good times. But uh, Mario Kart as well is always up there. Yeah, nice. A vicious said through as well. WWF in the early 90s at the arcade was good. Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, who was your go-to? <laughs> My go-to wrestler? I don't think I've ever told you this story, Ricardo. Mm. Um, uh, I've bumped into... Have you ever bumped into Hulk Hogan in real life before? No, but I have bumped into... Um, what's his name? Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, yeah. And I met Batista. Oh, wow. Batista would have been uh, interesting. He's, he's a giant of a man. Uh, yeah, I bumped into Hulk Hogan and his entourage. Uh, this is going back, what, nine years now? Almost ten years. Uh, in Toronto, the convention centre there. I wasn't there for Comic-Con or whatever it was. There was also a sports management thing going on at the same time there, and there were a few athletes that I really admire that were speaking, so I went along. Uh, but yeah, bummed into him and his entourage, and man, I was scared for my life. I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, Mr. Hogan. He's like, no worries, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his quality. What a way to meet him. Uh, a few more texts coming through here too as well. NBA Drive 2002 was way ahead of its time and had some absolute classic one-liners like, he was on that like a pit bull on a pork chop. Um, so thanks for that text through. Vish has also said, uh, well, he said the WWF game of the 90s, uh, but John Alomu Rugby, Rugby 08 as well. He's still got both of those. Mike, Shane Warren Cricket was a classic. Uh, Cyrus Ricardo, I did like that game also. Another one called Rally X, that one from Dave. Ridge Racer Revolution from Kyle, that was on the PlayStation. I remember those. And um, and this one from Ian, this is super old school. You can't beat Sabudio, not a video game, but Sabudio football was great. It's tabletop soccer, basically. Oh, I was going to say you, that you might have to explain that one to me, but that sounds like bubble hockey. Yeah, well, so you basically you got a felt pitch, right? And you stretch it out and put it on a table. Yeah. And then your players were uh, like on a sort of a flat it's flat but rounded disc so yeah. flat at the bottom and then rounds on the side and you flick them manually flick them to kick the ball and you obviously if you don't have the ball you're trying to block your other, the other players so you play two you have two full teams of 11 and goalkeepers on levers and all sorts of stuff I, yeah I was just about to say I can't remember the rules or how you play it anymore but an absolute classic when I was in school that you'd play in class was coin rugby oh yeah coin rugby yeah like literally you just your opponent would hold up the goalpost and you try and flick the coin through the goalpost like oh. you kick conversions. Ah, okay. The things you do... Uh, <laughs> to pass the time when you're not learning. Yeah, yeah. Pretty um, much. hope no one from uh, Tottenham Boys College is uh, listening <laughs> in right now. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, keep them coming through. 8833 is the Temper Bed Post text machine. Or our phone number is 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Um, keep them, uh, keep those coming through, and uh, we will uh, get to those shortly. We'll have a multi coming up soon as well. Uh, it is twenty away from ten here on SCNZ. 
It's a quarter to ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. He will be back for you tomorrow, and no doubt he will be wanting to talk that Chapel Hadley debacle. Speaking of the Chapel Hadley debacle uh, and the way how, how, how sideways that went, Gary Stead, Black Caps coach, was talking yesterday. Uh, I can assure you it's a pretty frustrated uh, dressing room last night. The the guys are disappointed um, and were frustrated, uh, I think, of having opportunities in all three matches and, and not getting over the line. And, and um, I think it's it's easy when you lose that you, that you can go soul-searching a little bit, but we try not to do that. We try, I guess, just to be really clear in, in the processes and what we're trying to do and, and trying to get better each day. And um, unfortunately, Australia put enough pressure on us that we couldn't quite get over the line last night again. And just finally from me, we always go on about it, just the mental block at beating Australia in Australia. Does it exist? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of teams come to Australia and they they struggle to beat them and we're no different. Um, they, they're a very, very good side. They um, they compete the whole time and it's something I guess we, we talk about within the group is how we can keep throwing punches back at them and they, they seem to keep having answers at, for us at the moment. But... We're also a good side, and and uh, we've got to learn, I think, to to how or how we can compete, and then I guess put that that killer punch in at times as well to make sure that we can get over top of them. Obviously, in the first two games, uh, the New Zealand batters sort of struggled to build partnerships, and and that was a, a lot better. Obviously, in the third game, do you put that down to the changing pitch or, or conversations you guys had about how you want to approach such a slow wicket? Uh, well, hopefully it's a little bit of both, but um, look, I mean, the conversations were had around how we do extend those partnerships a little bit longer. Um, there's no doubt, I think the pitch was slightly better last night. It was still very much on the slow side, and I think a lot of people struggled to come in and, and I guess, hit the ball hard from, from the very start. Um, but there were some improvements there, um, albeit they weren't quite good enough to get us over the line. Would you like to see, I guess, in New Zealand we have very one type of pitch, you know, the fast green seamers. Would you like to see more variety in the pitches we have in New Zealand so that when we go over to Australia or to the subcontinent, we're a bit better prepared? Yeah, I think I first thing I think to note is the pitches that we played on, I don't think are typical uh, Australian pitches either. Um, they were definitely on the slower side. I, I think in a way, playing on these is good exposure for us because you go to a World Cup in India, you, you will play on, I think, some very different wickets. So for us, I think having the experience and needing to adapt uh, are things that, that are important. Um, so, so I, I, I mean, there's certainly no excuses around the pitch at all. I mean, we, we have to adapt to what's in, what's in front of us. Uh, yeah, I think it's always a good thing in your home country if you can have variety because then you give players the experiences to learn on, at a faster rate as well. And what happens just over the next few weeks, just in general, I assume you guys have a break and the players go off. When do you come back together? What do the next few weeks look like? Yep. Uh, so, I mean, it's a, about a three-week block before we come back together, which gives guys the opportunity for, I guess, training but, and also a little bit of conditioning as well. Um, so we've got a, a very big summer that's coming up in front of us. So all, all little opportunities like this to um, refresh, recharge, but also, I think, rejuvenate the body and, and get ourselves in the condition that we want to be in moving forward will be important. Um, we come together again on the 5th of October for the Tri-Series before going to the World Cup. So there you go, that is the Black Caps coach Gary Stead uh, speaking. I, he didn't react well, I didn't think, to the uh, question about the the, the mind uh, blank that New Zealand seems to have playing Australia in Australia. It's something that Ian Smith 
himself has talked about on this show, isn't it, Logan? Yeah, and uh, potentially our, our listeners of SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith might have taken a double take while hearing that. That was the voice of John Day, the former producer of the show, <laughs> asking that question, putting the, the hard words there on Gary Stead. And, I mean, I really feel like in that kind of situation, surely he can't be denying it. I mean, it's there. It's so clear as day that it is there when we haven't won an ODI in Australia since 2009. Like some of those players, I mean, a lot of those players weren't even around then. So like, what is going on here? Like, it's it's just mental. We have the players, we have the talent. It's coming down to the mental side of things and the tactics. Like they're going into this series, they're going into these matches coming off the back foot already. Yeah, well, that's a thing. And I, I, I think I said this the other day. If we went into any other game and had the opposition five down, so their whole top five of their order in the sheds with 44 runs on the board, there's no way we're losing that game. But for some reason, we find a way to lose those games when we play the Aussies. They get in, they're get they living rent-free inside our heads, as I've said before. And uh, I think that was a, uh, a a classic case of that. Now, we were talking also earlier about uh, video games. We had a bunch more come through, Logan, on the, on the text. Um, seems to be a lot of people. We did say we did say sports games, and there's a lot of sports adjacents. I don't know if Sonic the Hedgehog's a sports game. Um, <laughs> it's not, but <laughs> iconic. I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. I'm just trying to pin here what is the age group of our audience with some of these titles because a lot of these are games that I played growing up NBA Jam yeah. uh, in the arcade I played that a ton and then of course there was like a remake that came out jeez uh, I want to say it's almost 10 years ago now on the Xbox 360 and they need to make another one because the when you talk about commentary lines like you had the pitbull on a pork chop line you know there's all the iconic lines out of John John Oliver rugby but then the NBA Jam you, you know you got things like boom Shakalaka, <laughs> just like real fun stuff, and the the hoop gets on fire if you land like three shots in a row, all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of fun to be had. Sydney Olympics 2000 on PlayStation One. That's an interesting one. Typically, games around the Olympics haven't done well. California Games is another one that's real old school. That's going back to was that like an X Games type thing or yeah, that's going back to the Atari. Oh wow, yeah. And Troy has also said Road Rash, the greatest motorbike game ever, and Twisted Metal. I remember Twisted Metal. Road Rash was great because you could smack your opponents off their bike with like a baseball bat, chains, all that sort of stuff. It was hectic. Gang warfare. Yeah, I don't know if that kind of game would pass these days, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. Mate. Grand Theft Auto is still out there, so I think uh, you've got a long way to go past that. Uh, it is nine away from ten here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. When we come back, we'll do our TAB multi. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the hold Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. All right, this is what the multi looks like today. It includes one game today and two games from first thing tomorrow morning. Uh, and the return is pretty good, uh, but there is risk here. Okay, let's start with the game today. It is the last game of the first round of the NFL. The Denver Broncos play the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, if you don't know the background here, Russell Wilson, legendary Seattle Seahawks quarterback, 
left the club last year, left the franchise last year, has gone to the Broncos. So the Seahawks are in complete rebuild mode. They will not, or should not at least, uh, bother postseason this season. But the Broncos are certainly aiming for that. They have put a lot of their uh, money in that bank uh, of to, to hit postseason. So with that in mind... The Broncos will win. They are favourites. The point spread, they've given. They've got a six-point start. I think it'll be more than that. I, I see the Broncos with Russell Wilson uh, going and winning well. And so I've got taken the Denver Broncos 14-plus at $2.91. And then tomorrow morning, I've anchored tomorrow morning with Inter Milan playing Victoria Pleasant, who are the whipping boys of this group. Uh, they are the... Uh, I think, I was going to say, I always get mixed up between Slovakia and Czech because they used to be the same country and now they're not. But anyway, they're out of one of those. Uh, they are in this group, which also includes Barcelona and Bayern Munich, uh, and they'll be lucky to get a point out of it. Inter Milan to win there, paying $1.40. And then the other two game, uh, the other two teams in the group meet each other as well. Bayern Munich take on Barcelona. This one is in Munich. Now, Munich have drawn the last three games in the Bundesliga. Barcelona have hit the ground running. And, of course, they also have a bloke called Robert Lewandowski, the former Bayern Munich number 9 as well, who has a point to prove he didn't leave on the best of terms. Uh, the market has very much Bayern as the favourites at $1.83, Barcelona three sixty. The draw is at $4. It was four twenty when I put the bet on, but they've come into fours. So that's where I'm going. I'm going the draw in Bayern Munich, Barcelona. There will be goals too. I would look at over three and a half goals as another option for that market. But there you go. The Broncos 14-plus against the Seahawks. The draw between Bayern and Barca and Inter to beat Victoria Pleasant. Uh, it returns $16.29 as we currently stand. So get on and get amongst. Uh, what do you think of that Broncos call? Logan is an NFL fan. Yeah, I, I would be going for that too, mate. I mean, just Russell Wilson coming home to take on Seattle. And Seattle are definitely... It's not It's not going to be the year for them, let's be honest. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm back in the uh, Broncos all the way there, mate. Yeah, all right, good stuff. We'll keep your text rolling through. Double eight, double three. Double eight, double three is the Tempered Bedpost text machine. Your favourite video game, sports video games of all time on National Video Game Day. And your reaction to Gary Stead and the Black Caps as well. We'll get to more of those and Natalie Lawrence from the Phoenix next. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for him for one final time before Smithy is back from his sojourn to Australia to call the Chapel Hadley series. We were talking about uh, Gary Stead and his black caps as well, and uh, Maggie has texted through saying, Hi guys, I might be ignorant, but Gary Stead said the team's... Team comes together on October 5th for the warm-up games. Shouldn't they be training together before that, or am I out of touch? Cheers, Maggie. Well, it's a good question, Maggie. I think they will probably have individual training programs, but as a team, to spend time with their families uh, and break before they're away for another, what, month, I think uh, that will probably be correct. But thanks for your text. Double eight double three is the text machine. We also have been asking you on uh, what is national... Uh, video Games Day, it is over in the States anyway, what your um, best remembered favourite video game, sports video games are from the past and uh, this one, Darren from Melbourne loved Lomu Rugby but Gran Turismo was my all time favourite, upgrading your cars and, and the tracks were awesome thanks for your text Darren, also does Tony Hawk count, the pro skater sports game, 
Andrew Eddinghouse in Rugby League on the Mega Drive was rad too, and Punch Out on Nintendo was cool when you would drop Butterbean's pants when you punched him in the gut. Thanks for that for Jimmy. The memories, the memories. Uh, keep those texts rolling through on double eight double three. We'll have more of those a little later on. Now, we had news came out yesterday that Gemma Lewis, who was the head coach of the Wellington Phoenix women's team in their inaugural season, had resigned to take up a post back in her native Wales. She is a former Welsh international, and uh, so she has left, and the Phoenix had uh, wasted no time in uh, making the succession appointment, and they gave it to her assistant coach, Natalie Lawrence, who joins us now to talk about this job and what she has uh, to look forward to coming up with the season fast approaching. Natalie, good morning. How are you? Hi, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm good. Um, yeah, getting my head around everything, but it's been a whirlwind couple of days, so... But, yeah, it's nice to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on, and congratulations on getting the head coaching role. Thank you. Yeah, pretty exciting. Ready to get started and, and get on the field and get all, like, all the girls together. So, But, yeah, it's been, and like I said, a bit of a whirlwind, but one that's pretty exciting as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you guys knew that Gemma might potentially be moving on. Um, what was that conversation like between you and Gemma? And then the convers- at what point did the club come to you and say, hey, look, we just want you to step up and let's have some continuity here? Um, yeah, so it kind of, um, Gemma was really good like throughout the whole process of this possibility with Wales. She was real honest with me and we, we worked together really closely, so um, she just like kept me updated with, with what she was doing. And then as soon as she'd kind of made that decision that um, this opportunity was the one that she wanted to go for, um, things happened fairly quickly. Um, it it w- was definitely wasn't quite as simple as, like, um, Gemma's leaving, Nat, here you go. The, the club definitely wanted to go through a bit of a process with it to make sure that me stepping into the role was the right thing for the team and for the club and um, you know like I'm pretty happy that they came to that decision that it was me and um, like yeah really excited to can build on and develop on what we did last season and you know adding that extra bit of continuity with um, majority of the players knowing me um, will hopefully benefit that. What do you think the biggest change for you is going to be? The difference between being the assistant coach versus being the head coach? Um, stuff like this, media, big change. <laughs> I kept myself. I think I only had one interview last year, and that was with you. I keep myself pretty quiet normally, um, so that that will be a big shift. But um, one that, like, I'm, again, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to building those relationships, and I, I think it will. Just, I think it will generally be a bit of a shift. Uh, for people that have known me be an, their assistant for a long time. But me and Gemma work so collaboratively together and I was involved in all the, like, the key decisions and heavily involved in trainings that it shouldn't be such a massive step um, or change for them. And I, I think for me personally, like obviously as, as closely as me and Gemma work together, ultimately it's the head coach's responsibility should the team be performing or not performing and that will be a bit of a mindset shift as well for me heading into the season that um, I I can have some incredible staff around me but um, ultimately people are going to be questioning me when things aren't going well and then hopefully praising when things do go well and that's something that we can um, kind of stick together with the staff as well like we did last season. Yeah, I 
given the Phoenix is a club that's you know multifaceted, you got the, the men's side, the women's side as well, and this is your first head coaching role at this level. I mean, how much are you able to sort of pick the brains of someone like Ufuk Tale to, to to help you, um, you know, sort of as you as you grow into the role? Yeah. Well, this, this season it will be so much easier than last year, and I know that he was really receptive to helping Gemma and talking to Gemma last year, and we're going to be in the same building. We're going to be training our fields next to each other. And, you know, me and um, David Dome have like, talked about the integration between the male and the female staff. And I think it will be massive um, for us to be able to learn from each other and maybe be able to use his experiences as um, a head coach now for a number of years and, and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's a huge opportunity. What are you going to look for in an assistant? Obviously, you're going to go have to go looking for someone to come in and fill the role that you used to do. What are, What are you looking for in someone to do that role? Yeah, I think that's um like that's a really good question and one that I, I'm I'm really lucky that I have a really good support system um, of people that I can talk to, who people who are head coaches for international teams and and club teams, and the thing that the consistent thing that they've all told me about as an assistant is somebody that you can trust so someone that will will have my back but also challenge but um that I can trust their work and what they're saying and you know their belief in what we're trying to do and I think that's one of the most important things that I'll be looking for um as well as somebody that's going to fit in with the team somebody that's going to um, complement kind of what I, what I already bring to the team um are kind of on and off the field and um, so yeah, that's the kind of main main things I'm looking for in an assistant. Yeah, uh, is that person likely to be in New Zealand already, or are you looking at offshore? You know, Australia or Kiwis that are doing jobs elsewhere. I'm kind of looking everywhere. Yeah, I, I think it's a really really important role, and I have the full backing of the club to pick somebody who I think will really really benefit the team and and me. And it's not something I'm going to rush into. Um, I don't know time isn't massively on my side with pre-season starting in, the, in just over four weeks' time. But, um, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's a really, really, really important role that I want to make sure that we get right. The timing of this, as you mentioned, uh, you know, could be better, but that is football. Things happen. Professional sport. Things move, move quickly. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess yeah. it's a little smoother in that 13 of your 18 players are, are already signed out. How far away are you from confirming the rest of your squad? Yeah, like it's definitely easier that and we've got a decent amount of the squad confirmed and I was fully part of that process of recruitment as well, which again makes things um, a bit cleaner. We're not too far away with the, um, with the other signings. There's every kind of signing or every person that you think about signing because of the restrictions we're under, there's almost like this ripple effect of what does that mean? What does that mean for the Kiwi spots, for the um, Aussie spots? What does it mean for scholarship players? And we're still actually getting a few things confirmed by the league, um, just with, in regards to our regulations. You know, I don't want to be um, going against any rules or offering to sign somebody that I can't actually sign. So, I mean, like, I'm pretty happy with where we're at and who we're looking at. And in no like crazy rush, just to just to push things through. Um, you know, like last year we signed Talisa Kramer just before our first game of the season, and, and she was a real important person for us. So, um, yeah, again, it's about like finding the right players to fill the spots that we've got, 
um, whilst still adhering to the restrictions that we're still currently under. Am I right in thinking that the five that you're yet to sign have to be eligible to play for Australia? Um, we have to have five Australians, yeah. Yeah, and so that uh, yeah, yeah, of the 13, though, none of those are Australian eligible players? Those are all Kiwis? Um, so we've got a couple of dual citizens in there, I think. So we've got um, Izzy Gomez has been signed. Of course. She's Australian, and Brie Edwards has been signed. And she's dual, so she counts. So you got a couple. So you got a bit of room to, to add another couple of yep. Kiwis. I know. I know the uh, the Kate Shepherd Cup final was on yesterday. There was a couple of outstanding talents in there, and Millie Clegg and Ruby Nathan. I thought they they stood out for yep. me. I mean, you would have uh, had some eyes on that game. Was there anybody that you were looking at particularly? Yeah, yeah, we were definitely down there watching the game, and it was it was it was a really good game actually. Obviously, we know Millie and Ruby from the twenties, and yeah, there's like a few players that. Um, you look at and, and think, could they, you know, do a job at the level? And it's definitely um, there's a couple of players that stood out and put their hand up to be considered for sure. Obviously, we're still under these restrictions. We can't just fill our team full of um, Kiwi players, but um, we want to give those that can probably um, step up to the level an opportunity if we can. Being in Wellington. It's obviously easier than being in Wollongong <laughs> when it comes to players being able to train, but um, we understand people have lives too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I guess uh, I think the draw uh, is coming out tomorrow. Um, how good would it be to start this season with a game in Wellington in front of your home fans, given what you had to go through last season? It would be just the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? It would be incredible being able to, yeah, be in Wellington. Hopefully it's Wellington on a good day. We'll play for that. Um and yeah, just the, the fans and the families, and just people being able to to see and to yeah, like we had such support last year that we didn't even we didn't we weren't even that aware of it. We were quite isolated in Australia, so being able to um, be here, be in New Zealand, and be in Wellington, and feel the kind of love and support for the team will only spur on their performances. Um, them being able to bring their families, who some of them, their families have never watched them play, and like at this level, and being able to do that again is just going to help spur the team on and just add that little um, extra reason to maybe, you know, transition in the 96th minute, you know. So um, it's going to be super, super, super exciting. I consider myself a Wellingtonian. I lived there for, for ages and definitely my home away from home. And so personally, um, it's going to be a pretty special feeling. Yeah, uh, and Natalie, just before I let you go, uh, obviously, you know, you said that you, yourself and Gemma worked very closely, both the 20s and, and the Knicks last season, but what, you know, for, for Knicks fans who watched the Knicks team last year, what do you think might change about the way the team goes about their football? What's that little Natalie Lawrence um, spice that we might see in there that wasn't maybe there last season? I think, like, because um, I was fully part of everything and how we played, I don't think a huge, huge amount needs to change in terms of playing style. Um, I would say that I'm quite an attacking coach. I have quite an attacking mindset. Um, I reminded the guys this morning that at Team Wellington, I won a game 9-6. I'm not going to promise that, but um, we'll definitely be doing a lot of work on our um, in possession and especially the final third stuff, so... Hopefully, hopefully that is a little bit of change that we can bring this year. 
Beautiful, Natalie. Hey, listen, thanks very much for giving us some time. Really appreciate it. Congratulations again oh, on you. being the new head coach and best of luck for the season. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. 16 past 10 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. And uh, yeah, we had that chat yesterday with Natalie, as you may have picked up with uh, me talking about the Chatham Cup and the Cape Shepherd Cup yesterday. Uh, but uh, one thing that has come out since that chat, and something that I thought they might do last season, was sign Annalie Longo, given she works for New Zealand Football and it is a sort of a, a co-production, I guess you'd call it, a, a, um, a joint venture with New Zealand Football and the Phoenix of the women's team ahead of the World Cup. And uh, she didn't play for them last year because she wanted to concentrate on her job with New Zealand football. Well, unfortunately, for all concerned, Annalie Longo has done her ACL and her MCL. Uh, and to be fair, I mean, she'd be doing well to be back in time for the World Cup. Uh, I think that would be very much touch and go. And so she was going to be unveiled as a marquee signing. Uh, but obviously that is no longer going to happen, which is a blow for uh, all concerned, as I said. So that is a real pity. Coming up here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, the panel is next. Graham Beasley and Reuben Bradley join me. We're going to talk rugby, tennis, rugby league and the All-Whites. Christchurch on 1260am. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ten twenty-two here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. Uh, he is back tomorrow, but on the panel with me today is Graham Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz. G'day, Graham. How are you? Morning, Ricardo. I'm well. Good stuff, mate. And Ruben Bradley, the big boss man. We've uh, we've dusted you off and brought you into the studio. How are you feeling, mate? <laughs> There's a lot of dust. I tell you that. Uh, morning, Rick Dog. Morning, Graham. How are you both? All right. Yeah. Good, mate. Good. Good. We should talk. New Zealand rugby, it seems every time we talk New Zealand rugby at the moment, we're finding fault in what they do. But uh, it's, this isn't just us. This is the government now found fault in what they've done as well. Uh, there was a uh, Sport New Zealand funding target for reaching gender diversity targets. 65 sporting organisations were tasked with doing this. The only one to miss it is New Zealand rugby. Um, and they're going to be penalised $280,000 as a result. Uh, Ruben... They're just down the hallway uh, from us here <laughs> yeah. at New Zealand Rugby. Um, I was under the when this came out, I, I was surprised because I do remember them adding mm-hmm. more women to the board. Uh, were you as surprised as I was when you saw this story come out? <laughs> yeah, and this is a shocker. This is simple maths. This is like putting sixteen players on the field by mistake. You mm. just shouldn't make these mistakes. It's you know this is really easy basics to get correct uh, you've known for a long time everyone else managed to do it you just shouldn't make these mistakes this was an easy one to tick off to try and get you know if there were quotas or targets around participation numbers those are sort of things that are out of your control this is in your control just do this one yeah just do it it's, it's it, this is part of your job as a man who lives in Wellington and, and is used to dealing with bureaucrats Graham uh, d- how much did it surprise you it surprised me a lot. I mean, as Ruben said, how hard is it? You know, count forty percent. You know, that's just simple maths, really. And um, you know, to have three female board members on a board of nine, um, I would have thought there's a pretty easy way to get forty percent. You just add another female board member. I mean, it's it's, it's just it's extraordinary. And um, and as as we've been saying, they've had plenty of time to sort this out. They have to add you, one. You do wonder though. I actually think the bigger problem might be in the next level down. 
I mean, how many female CEOs are there of NPC teams, you know, provinces or super rugby teams? So um, I think part of the reason that the government has put this rule in place is to um, is to improve things from um, from the ground up. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, and and there are uh, some in place. In fact, I think uh, Cherry Blyde is now the the chair of uh, Taranaki Rugby, isn't she? There, are, there, that is starting to happen at grassroots level. Um, and and I mean, it's not like the people that they've brought in currently, like Dr. Farah Palmer and things, have been doing those jobs. They've brought them in from outside of those jobs. You've got to take a punt. You've got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I'm in a role here where we we, dif- we want to grow female broadcasters in, in sport as well. And uh, we've got some wonderful women who are doing a great job on our airwaves and, and a lot of the other networks uh, are as well. But you've got to start somewhere mm-hmm. um, and acknowledge that's still sort of a challenge for us. Uh, but you've got to just get them and put them in the role and, and work with them and, and you know, and, and they they will grow. And, you know, there's an enthusiasm there for, for that from the listeners and from organisations such as ours. Yeah, I, I would think, got to do it. Yeah, Graham, I mean, given you've got a board of nine, there's probably enough rugby knowledge there. Do you need somebody that has rugby knowledge or do you just need somebody that's got business experience, that type of thing, governance experience? I think kind, kind of either. I mean, I think you want on that board a balance, really, of people who have got their rugby experience, the feel for the game. Um, and the feel for the sport in general, not just uh, playing the game. Um, But I think you also need people with governance experience. Mm, Yeah, indeed. All right, we also had the news come out uh, today that Casper Ruud, who uh, just played in the US Open final, is now the world number two, is going to be here for the ASB Classic, Graham. I know uh, you're in Wellington, not in Auckland, but uh, given we've had no ASB Classic for, what, the last uh, two or three seasons due to COVID, how big is this, uh, do you think? Um, I think it's really big, actually. Um, you know, and this is the now the post Carl Budge era, if you like, um, for this um, for this tournament. And I think people were a bit concerned that it might lose some of its um, some of its signing power and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was he, he was known as um, um, as someone who who could land the big fish, the Serena um, Whisperer, so, <laughs> <laughs> the smoocher. Yeah. Um, so so it's good. I, I, I think it's a really good signing. Um, and men's tennis, it just sort of seems as if the, the baton's been passed on to the new generation now, doesn't it? You know, with that final yesterday and we had the situation where whoever won it would go to number one in the world. Um, and so we're just sort of moving away from the Federer, Nadal, Jokovic era. Yeah. And, um, and so to get him over here as a big name, as the world number two, is fantastic. Yeah, Graham, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. It kind of felt like, I suppose, a little bit of uh, pandemic uh, lag as well, uh, but also the decline of the big three that tennis had been in somewhat of a no-man's land uh, for a couple of years there. And and, and to see um, Carlos Alcaraz in particular obviously come through, but also Casper Ruud, these new names, is like, ah, the exciting new frontier is upon us. And also, um, along with Erling Haaland, wonderful to see Norway with a few <laughs> superstars of the world of sport that aren't cross-country skiers. <laughs> yeah, well put, mate. Well put. Yeah, indeed. And Norway uh, is certainly ripping it. And the other thing too now with men's tennis, you know, it used to be you go into a, a major tournament and you went, you could just pick through to the final. It was going to be Djokovic and Federer or Djokovic and Nadal. We've seen less of that now, but it feels like maybe a generation has been skipped because there's guys like Medvedev and Tsitsipas that haven't quite done what you know, the Alcarazes and the Rudes are doing. Do you think they'll come back now, Graham? those guys? Well, it's interesting you say that, that 
that that generation has been skipped because it does kind of feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, uh, Alcaraz having having won a Grand Slam and is still a teenager. I mean, you just wonder how many Grand Slams he's he's going to rack up over his career. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he he does seem to be an extraordinary talent. So, um, um, yes, but I, I guess always in the background there's Nick Kyrgios, isn't there? You know, <laughs> is he is he going to make it? Is he going to make it over the line? Oh, you, you you always hope so. You always hope so. I mean, it, I do wonder, Ruben, whether or not some of those guys, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, that, that that level of guy, Rublev, they have the black caps mental block in Australia <laughs> when it comes to. You know, I can't win That's Grand harsh. Slams. That's harsh, Ricardo. I, I can't <laughs> win Grand Slams because of Djokovic or Nadal or Federer. But that realization, you know, for me, for some of those younger players, isn't there. Well, I think if if it did skip a generation, I, I think. It's just testament to how incredible and what an era of tennis that we just witnessed. However, I would point out, mm. when Djokovic plays tournaments, if and when he's allowed, he's not past it, actually. I, I said decline, and I, as I, was, I thought about that line earlier, I felt it's a slightly controversial line. Djokovic is only on the decline because he's been banned from a handful of tournaments. When he plays, he's still very much right up there, I believe. Yeah, all right, I'll be interested to see how things go at the end of year depending on whether or not you can get into that country. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other conversation. It's up past 10 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. This is the panel. We'll be back with more after the latest in news and sport with Araha Hathaway. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, me, yeah. 28 away from 11 here on SENZ with... Uh, Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. This is the panel, uh, Graham Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz and Ruben Bradley with me in the Rugby League World Cup. Is, of course, not that far away, I think four weeks away now. Uh, but Jared Wodaria Hargreaves' suspension, will it affect the Kiwis? He's probably going to miss, if he if he gets selected, he'll miss the first three group games of the World Cup, Ruben. Mm. Um can we, why can't we do a Peter Valandis and tell him he can he can he can he can, he can serve it next season? Yeah, uh, look, I think um, I guess my main question here is: I guess should they select him or not? I'm leaning towards yes. Uh, I guess I have a question for for the room. Mm. Uh, as a suspended player, what are your rules around how you're allowed to train with the team? I think I don't think there's any um, any restrictions. You, any restrictions because on training. what are those three games that they're going to play to kick it off? Uh, Lebanon and um, Micronesia. I, I can't, <laughs> can't, sorry, I can't remember the three teams. Those are training games to mm. all intents and purposes. Lebanon probably would be the toughest of the three. Yeah, um, it, you know. So I think it's probably worth still taking him and losing him for those. So obviously that implies take the guilty plea, take the three games, miss those that are essentially glorified training games. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't hadn't considered that, Graham. um, I mean, rugby league seems to just make up rules as it goes. Where are you on this one? (laughs) I think it comes across as uh, amateur hour. I think you should serve your ban in the competition where you receive it. Um, yeah, in the um, in the way that football does. So he should be banned for the first three games of the NRL next year, or, which may even include a warm-up game or something. But to have him banned for playing for a totally different team in a totally different competition for something he's done in the NRL just, just seems really weird. And, I mean, I don't think rugby union's any better either because remember when um, Sonny Bill Williams got that red card against the Lions, mm. he... So one of his games where he was suspended and one of those gamers three halves that they sort of made up on the fly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty strange too. 
It was. I mean, rugby is, when you get a ban in rugby, you get a ban from all rugby for however many weeks it is, and they're up front yeah. about that. But you're right, rugby league, particularly Australian rugby league, the ARL who decide these things, always manage to seem to find a an Englishman or a Kiwi, depending on who they're playing, who can take a skate and miss some games against the mm-hmm. Kangaroos, don't they? I think the... Yeah, I think there often is a conspiracy theory about that, but... Um, but they do it so often and so regularly, it's quite easy to feed that theory. I just think of the ban happens. The ban needs to happen right away. I'm okay with it uh, crossing different competitions if it's the same sport. Uh, just uh, if the ban happens at any stage, uh, the ban happens now. So the Taylor May one is just bonkers. Mm. I'm not necessarily sure whether it should have, in the first instance, attracted a playing suspension as as well as how the courts had handled it. Maybe, maybe not. But if you did, you do it straight away. Yeah, I mean that was a weird one. I mean, talk about karmic. Uh, gets yellow carded in the first ten minutes of his of the game he's allowed to play, and then tears a hamstring. Is probably out, going to miss the grand final. You would think, um, Taylor May. That's, that's the way that has happened. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, to karma um, definitely. But the, the other way to do it, of course, is you put a premium on a World Cup or a playoff game. Mm-hmm. You know, one match suspension uh, counts for two if it's playoffs or or, or a World Cup. Yeah, that's a, that's another way to look at. It. I also think too, Graham. I mean, I. I, I'm on your side with that argument about if it happened in the NRL, the ban happens in the NRL. But if it's a violence thing or a really bad like head-high tackle or a, a punch-up that does severe damage to somebody like maybe uh, the one on Lance O'Hire in that Challenge Cup final, then I think there's an argument that it just should be all, all of that sport, isn't there? But then it gets so subjective. Mm. And again, you're just um, um, opening the doors for all sorts of theories to fly around. And yeah, as, as you say, if the person committing the offence as a New Zealander or an Englishman, then um, we'll kind of look sideways at, um, uh, at what the, the NRL decides to do. Now, gentlemen, we have a, uh, a couple of football internationals coming up for the All Whites uh, against the Socceroos, which is uh, being few and far between of late. Uh, looking forward to this, uh, one in Brisbane and then one at Eden Park as well. In a couple of weeks' time, uh, that should be celebrated. But tell you, there's a big question mark over Danny Hayes' future. His contract runs out in October with New Zealand football, and he's reportedly frustrated over a lack of action in November. Uh, the way this works is all the leagues are suspended basically from about November the 10th to allow a 10-day, two-week lead into the World Cup. You would imagine in that time there are opportunities for the All-Whites to be playing games against teams going to the World Cup. Uh, Ruben, where are you on this one? Uh, from a New Zealand football point of view, given we haven't qualified, should they be putting any stock in these games? Or uh, Yeah. Uh, I mean, is this about continuity following the Aussie games? First of all, I think, you know, every... New Zealand football coach, every all-whites coach has been frustrated about, you know, no friendlies at this time of year, no, you know, uh, and we haven't been able to get fixtures. This is not a unique problem that Danny Hay has pointed out. The last couple of coaches have also had these international windows where we've played stupid games against clubs or just not at all. So, you know, I don't think Danny Hay is unique in that situation. I just think... For a country like New Zealand, and maybe for most countries that aren't, you know, superpowers, at least, you know, international football is broken. 
you know, like the all whites, particularly in a stupid confederation that means nothing. They play a handful of meaningful games each year, which are ridiculously easy. And then one other meaningful game every four years, which is extremely hard or at least a 50-50 lottery. So I, I just the World Cup for a country like New Zealand and so many other countries should not be the be all and end all of, of, of football because all you're left with now is those meaningful games or scrambling around to get some friendlies together which is you know a haphazard you rely on invitations you rely on the goodwill context that's not how an international program should work for a, for a, a developed a developed football program like New Zealand. You want New Zealand to play more meaningful games and try and make the quarterfinals of the Asia Cup or something like that. We're never going to win the World Cup, obviously, even if we have the best team ever. But we might make it into the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the Asian Cup one time, or even if we're really good, you know, you, you, you might really make a run at a tournament like that. And that's where I think it's just broken as far as New Zealand's concerned internationally. Yeah, I, th- I think this, uh, Ruben's made some good points there, Graham. Yeah, I think there are a few things at play here. I mean, I certainly think that the Oceania Confederation needs to merge with Asia. Um, and even even if it means that Asia is split into two or something like that, and then we will get meaningful games on a regular basis. But I just wonder with this story here, is there more to the meet the eye? This sort of seems to be, I don't know, you sort of wonder how much longer Danny Hayes going to be in this job. It kind of comes across a bit of a part-time job anyway because of the issues that we've been talking about. And I... Uh, yeah, I sort of wonder how much um, how much longer he will stay in that role for. I guess to me, it just feels like what is that job apart from preparing for one game? Every Everything else years. was practice, and then you got one game, so it wouldn't have a heck of a lot of job satisfaction. You do one thing the whole time. It's it's I don't know. It's like uh, a version of the hundred meter sprint. All you got you got a ten second event. Go boom done. Yeah, you know? it all and, comes down to funding at the end of the day, right? So if you're under seventeen and under twenties teams. Make World Cups, FIFA give you money. Mm. How's it easy? Are you better off being in Oceania to achieve that, or in Asia to achieve that? And I th- and I think you know it's that's why it, it is such a difficult decision for New Zealand football. Um, and also, there's the whole power game too with Oceania. It is it is another block of votes. So it, it, I mean, Graham, it's it's it's, some, creepy, isn't it? it, it's it's very. I mean, you can see it from both sides as to why a New Zealand yeah. might want to stay in it because it gives us funding from FIFA, or or why we don't. And of course, the qualification is about to change for the World Cup, so mm. we will most likely get into every World Cup for the foreseeable future as well. But that's still going to be based on a stupid batch of games that we are 99% certain to win, and then we'll go to the World Cup and get knocked out of the group stage. And then four years later, we'll play three meaningful games of the World Cup, and we'll get knocked out of the group stage after we just thrashed Oceania. It's just... And then we'll play yeah. some stupid friendlies and all, and get angst and annoyed when we don't sign up enough friendlies. Blah blah blah, and it continues. It's really frustrating international football. <laughs> Graham, if you were running New Zealand football, what would you be doing? What's that? If you were running New Zealand football and had the ability to make the call, what would you be doing? I probably would try to get rid of Oceania um, as a confederation. I mean, I get Ruben's points, and you know, obviously, it means that our youth teams. Um, and the football ferns get really um, easy qualification routes to World Cups. Um, but a players really develop at a junior World Cup or they develop by overseas clubs? And I think it's more of the latter, really. Mm. So, I mean, I know it does mean that they get on the international stage and that's how Sarpik Singh got picked up because he had a good um, 
age group World Cup, but that kind of seems to be the exception more than the rule. So I, I think I would look to um, um, to split away, or you know, try to persuade the other countries, which of course would be a challenge in itself. Yeah, I mean, it's Fiji. You know, there'd be no benefit for Fiji um, to join up in the Asian Confederations. So you'd have to convince the others. Um, Tahiti, for example, have been given about sort of ten artificial turfs by FIFA recently. So so they're doing pretty pretty well out of that arrangement. Um, so, yeah, you'd, you'd have a bit of trouble in persuading the others. Yeah, I think uh, that is, and that is, it encompasses why football is, well, it's the global game. There's so much pol- political pull here, there, and everywhere. I suppose we could unilaterally decide to join Asia in the way that Australia did. Um, and where would that leave Oceania as a confederation? But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's probably, you know, what need, I don't think Oceania would survive without yeah. us. Yeah, and I mean, that's the way, that's probably the way forward. I mean, I remember, Graeme, you'll remember this, Ruben, you'll probably remember it as well, when uh, New Zealand, basically, if you qualified out of Oceania, that was like qualifying out of a subgroup of Asia, and then you went into the main playoff groups for Asia, and I think that's potentially a way that forward That was how 82 well. worked, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah effectively. Yeah, that is how yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff, gentlemen. Thank you for joining the panel today. Go well. Uh, great to have your thoughts and talk those subjects. When we come back, Louis Herman Watt joins us to talk love racing. It is uh, 12 away from 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for him today. But Smithy will be back for you from tomorrow. Uh, so it'll be good to have Smithy back in the hot seat after his sojourn over to Australia for the Chapel Hadley. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And uh, joining us now to talk love racing is Louis Herman Watt. G'day, Louis. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, brother. Long time no see. Ha <laughs> ha, yes, about 20 minutes. Yeah, indeed, mate, indeed. Uh, what do you got for us today from uh, loveracing.nz? Well, I mean, what a day it was on Saturday. I was here Tuesday. Now, uh, this weekend, no racing today. This weekend, we kind of have a little bit of a foot off the throttle in New Zealand. Big Group 1 racing in Australia continuing, but there's New Plymouth and Rickerton. Um, before them, we've got Otaki and Topol to get through. So five big thoroughbred meets before we even get to the Great Northern Day on Sunday at Tarapa. So really six massive thoroughbred meets Um Oh, and we've got Rickerton and Cambridge Synthetic tomorrow as well. But in the weekend, if we still a little bit of reflection, John Thompson, uh, Rich Hill stud, what a weekend they had with their resident stallions getting both of the group ones on each side of the Tasman. So Tarzino Trophy, a uh, dark destroyer one for Prosser, and the Maccabi Diva Stakes across the ditch over the mile, I'm Thunderstruck, used every inch of the Flemington Strait to mow down Alligator blood out top um, by shocking, of course, is I'm thunderstruck. So look, when you're going as well as Richel Studar, and look, that's not even to mention that there are other stallions that they've got there, uh, Ace High, Vatamos, um, with La Creek as well. You know, it's it's hard. These stud farms, they they are essentially farmers. They are breeders trying to make a living, trying to they go through the ups and downs of anyone dealing with any livestock or bloodstock. So when they have a weekend like Johnny T, Johnny Thompson did at Rich Hill Stud, where you have two group ones to both different sires that are your residents, 
It's a pretty special one. So a big shout-out to him, everyone involved, all the workers at Rich Hill Stud, because it would have meant a hell of a lot over the weekend. Yeah, massive. Absolutely massive for them, mate. What about what's coming up this week? Where's, uh, where's, where's the money to be made, Louis? Yeah, as I mentioned, we've got um, Cambridge and Rickon and Synthetics tomorrow, mate. Then we're on to Otaki, and then there's Topor, and then this weekend it is New Plymouth and Rickon, the turf. So busy, 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 and that's all before we get to Great Northern Day at Tarapa on Sunday. So, so much thorough reaction, Ricardo, and you've got all of the latest information on SCNZ. There you go. Looking forward to uh, catching up with that some more and uh, maybe making some coin to fill the fridge a little later on. Go well, Louis. Thanks for coming on, mate. All good. Cheers. Uh, love racing. Dotting Z for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, replays, profiles, and more. Eat, drink, and get racy. Round up your crew and book now at the Grand Tour.NZ. And it's three away from 11 here. Ricardo in for Smithy. And joining us out of the TAB is Brendan Popperwell. G'day, B Pops. How are you, mate? Hey, Rick Dog. Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, man. Uh, all travelling well there? Yeah, all travelling well here, mate. And enjoying the uh, first weekend of the NFL proper. And of course, we've got one game left today uh, the Broncos uh, with uh, Russell Wilson at quarterback up against mm-hmm. his old team in the, in the Seahawks. How's this looking for you? Surely this was the biggest setup of all time to make this game Monday Night Football. Uh, this is going to be a beauty, isn't it, um, to see Russell Wilson at the Broncos. Now, we've seen all the money with the Broncos, too. We've had a biggest bet of $10,000 uh, on the Denver Broncos at $1.31. Uh, we've seen a number of $1,000 bets on the Broncos on the point start. It's currently 6 and a half at $1.90. We've had money on Broncos to win 14 and over at two seventy eight. There's not a lot of love for uh, Seattle, uh, defensively, they were woeful last year, uh, so that we haven't seen a lot of money coming their way. The best bet around Seattle so far has been in the winning margin market, where we've seen some money uh, around them there, but it's looking like it's going to be one-way traffic. Yeah, that's. I mean, I put a TAB multi on this morning uh, that we do every day for mornings with Ian Smith, and uh, that was my lock-in, was the Broncos 14 and over. Um, I mean, is that the favourite option in terms of the points market? It, it, it is, it is. Um, look, as I said, a little bit of money in that in that marketplace because if you do get a place a bet, uh, a pre-match bet, and you, and you get the margin wrong, but the team right, you do get a bonus bet back. So the 14 and over for Denver Broncos is actually a really nice one to take because let's say if Seattle do happen to be able to keep it closer somehow, and but Denver still win by a margin of 1 to 13, you will get a bonus bet back. But if you're, if you're expecting what a lot of punters are thinking, that the Denver Broncos get it done by a good margin, well, you need to be rewarded with some real uh, C-ash. Uh, so, yeah, 291 uh, is priced there. If you're looking around for a player prop, I reckon in the Seattle side of things, around Tyler Lockett, we've seen some really good money around Tyler Lockett. Total receptions to be over three and a half. And the last time Geno Smith quarterback for uh, the Seahawks teamed up, he Tyler Lockett received 12 of the 19 completions. Uh, and I reckon through the total receptions and the receiving yards for Tyler Lockett, Look to be a good combo. I know DK Metcalf's going to see a lot of action. Maybe Lockett will see a little bit more. So there might be a way of playing the Seahawks and a player prop that way around Tyler Lockett. Good stuff, B-Pops. Go well, mate. Enjoy that game, eh? Cheers, man. Thanks, Ricardo. Cheers. Uh, watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. In the next hour, your chance to win with the TAB. We have... A NFL chat coming up as well. And we're going to talk boxing with David Nika. All that and more after the latest news in sport with Aroha Hathaway. 
From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past eleven here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy, back for you tomorrow after being in Australia calling the Chapel Hadley. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk some NFL. Your chance to win a TAB bonus bet worth $100 as well with Stumped and a few other things besides. But right now, we're talking boxing with Kiwi boxer David Nika. G'day, David. How are you doing? Good man, how you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, uh, great news coming out yesterday. We're going to have some world-class boxing, some top, top-ranked boxing, if you like, excuse the pun, uh, on free-to-air TV here since the first time in a long time. TVNZ picking up the George Cambosis Jr. Uh, Devin Haney rematch October 16, and, and you're part of the undercard. That's it, dude, yeah. It's um, a massive opportunity for me to do it in front of so many... Uh, um, eyes back at home so having that free to free to wear is going to make a massive difference in terms of you know, viewership and of course um just you know getting in front of in front of my fans my home fans again well we're only pro- uh, you're really about a month out mate i mean so where are you at in your preparation and how long before we know who your opponent's going to be well, i'm in i'm in great shape, uh, great shape at the moment I've, I've pretty much been working uh in in camp the last four weeks so this is my fifth week uh so kind of looking at getting some heavy sparring this week and right up until the fight. Um, but yeah, uh, opponent-wise, I think we're releasing that next week. Um, but I can tell you that he's a good guy. He's um, 4-0, four, four knockouts, I think. So one better than me. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've had one eye twice with him. And he's, he's, um, he doesn't look scared. He doesn't look deterred. Um, he's going to come to win. That's going to be good, man. Looking forward to it. Of course, you have spent plenty of time in the UK training with Andy Lee and uh, Tyson Fury and, and Joe Parker. Uh, how have you improved, do you think, as a boxer in the last year, having that experience? Yeah, um, well, they've probably taught me more more about the mental aspects um, than anything, you know, just the kind of mentality of a, of a fighter. Um, they're such a, a fighting breed over there. Uh, and obviously, getting all the all the work and the training alongside them is, is just such a bonus. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've 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 always trained hard. I'll continue training hard, um, and I'm yeah, obviously just looking forward to putting my best foot forward. And now, your camp? Are you training out of Australia, or are you training back home here in New Zealand? I'm in a, a little country town called Gatton, uh, which is about an hour inland from Brisbane. Um, so I'm, I've just been out there uh, dodging brown snakes and whatnot. Um, <laughs> And obviously, just getting lots of lots of heavy training done in the sun for for a change, which is nice. Yeah, after all that time away in the UK, mate. You mean what's the big orange thing in the sky? Yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. It's <laughs> made it is. I tell you, my my brother in law's got a place in Logan, which is sort of halfway between Brisbane and and the Goldie. And when he bought that, he cleared out the backyard so he could put a veggie patch in and have a, a area for his girls to run around. And yeah, baby brown snake in the backyard. Thanks very much. It's a it's it's a whole different mentality when you go walking, mate. How, you, you don't wear your jandals that often. I'd, I'm picking up there, Dave. Uh, I've I've only seen one snake so far, and it was a big um a big carpet python. And um, that that kind of like that, that freaked me out a little bit because I've been doing heaps of trail running and it was a it was a sunny day and uh, I think I think yeah they all come out to play when um when the sun's up so, uh, so yeah summer's going to be interesting over there yeah yeah they like to bask mate so so long as you leave them alone they'll leave you alone though I reckon I reckon you're good good on that front. 
up, they could like eat me whole either. I'm pretty long. <laughs> that's, always, that's always a bonus, mate. That's always a bonus. Um, <laughs> now, uh, you obviously hurt your hand, uh, and that that ruled you out of the Com Games, which was uh, disappointing. How is the hand? How's it healing up? And and how are you feeling? Yeah, the hand's good. The hand's good. It's um, I'm finally able to to be punching again um, and looking to get my first week heavy sparring this week. So. Uh, yeah, everything's in a good good place, and my uh, my mindset's uh, strong. I'm focused uh, and enjoying training, which is which is great. I'm, I'm in a I'm in a good place mentally, um, and training with Noel Thornbury, who's um, uh, proving to be a, a great coach. Um, so yeah, just looking forward to nailing the rest of camp and uh, getting in there fit and fresh. Yeah, uh, how do you find it going? You know, obviously we mentioned, you know, Andy Lee and, and and Tyson in that camp, and then going here. You know, everybody has a different way of doing things. Uh, how do you take that on board? You know, for example, Andy Lee may tell you to he wants you to slip a certain way, uh, and Noel might have a different take on it. I mean, how do you balance all of that information that's coming in? I, yeah, I guess it's just a matter of communicating communicating with with your coach. Um, but I've I've always taken bits and bobs from different coaches, and I, uh, from what I understand, Noel isn't the kind of guy that's gonna, you know, uh, deter anybody else from trying to, you know, add uh, add benefit to my uh, to my training. So, um, obviously, just like I've been boxing by myself for the last four years, so I'm I'm pretty aware of you know what I need and what I don't need. Uh, but um, yeah, it just comes down to communication, and uh, we've got uh, we've got a great relationship already. Um, and uh, I'm I, I'm loving it out there. I've, I, his family feels like my second family, so uh, there's no homesickness. And of course, I'm only a three-hour flight away anyway. So uh, yeah, no, really happy with with the training and um, the whole kind of camp setup. From what I understand, you know, early in your career, particularly your dad and your brother were big parts of your training setup. Are, are they over there yet? What's when are they getting there? Uh, so uh, dad's dad's still training and coaching uh, in in Hamilton. Uh, Joshy, my brother, is he's got he's got he's just had his, his uh, third son, so um, he's pretty much locked down at home at the moment. <laughs> um, but of course, yeah, I'll be trying to get them over um, in in camp and of course to my fights as well. Now that uh, Com Games was obviously you know the, there's been a change in boxing where you can fight pro and then come back and fight amateur again. But is that you done at amateur level now? Do you think, especially with no boxing in Paris, from what I can see? Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. I'd, the Paris is still an option. Um, I think uh, that could very well be the last Olympic Games where where the boxing is still, um, you know, a sport. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I've still got a few decisions to make, but um, yeah, that's that's uh, still an option, which is exciting. That's good, man. That's good. Uh, that uh, I mean, it'd be good to get if it is the last one. I mean, it seems ridiculous that they take boxing out of the out of the Olympics, and yet they've got breakdancing and stuff in there, which you know, it's a whole whole other conversation, mate. But seems yeah. seems ridiculous to me. Um, so, but I mean, it'd mean a lot to you to be able to 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 partake in an Olympics when uh, you know if potentially uh, it is the last time they have boxing. Yeah, well, it's it's one of the most primitive and primal sports, isn't it? Like, mm. um, and I. I Obviously, one of the original sports as well. Uh, so, yeah, it, it wouldn't make much sense. However, um, you know, it really comes down to whether or not uh, the uh, organisation can get their act together um, and clean up the sport. 
Mm, that's what it comes down to, mate. All right. Well, uh, what about your uh, you going forward from here in terms of a weight class? Because obviously you have to fight at heavyweight amateurs, but you're probably more a cruiserweight in the pro game. Where do you see yourself eventually uh, winding up in terms of the pro game? Um, so it's actually the same it's the same weight division, but they've just got different names for it. So in amateur boxing, there's a super heavyweight, which is essentially a professional heavyweight. Um, but uh, down the line, in fairness, I, I probably will be a heavyweight, I think. I'm walking around with about 96 kilos at the moment, which is uh, 215-odd pounds, which is, um, you know, a weight that Mike Tyson won the world title at. So, um, yeah, I, I could see myself being a, a pretty powerful heavyweight down the line. Is it fair to say that um, putting weight on and keeping the weight on has been an issue for you in the past? Do you think that's something that's getting easier as you get older? Yeah, yeah. So I'm 27 now. That it has been an issue, but um, I'm fine. Yeah, I think my metabolism is finally slowing down. And saying, hey, man, all right, we're gonna. Yeah, if, if you're gonna eat that, we're gonna keep it. You know. Um, so <laughs> welcome uh, to my world, bro. I, I, yeah, yeah. It's not an issue. It's not an issue in any way, shape, or form. I want to be um, a big cruiserweight, uh, and and when that becomes too hard to to maintain, um, I think you know I've got the frame for a, a big, strong heavyweight as well. And that's what we want to hear, man. Because you've got the height too. I mean, what are you six three, six four? Yeah, I'm. I'm a real six four. But I think um, if you look at some other stats online, it says six six. But um, I'm, a, I'm a real six four. I, I've rounded it down, which I think is, um, uh, yeah, not usually the case. I think you, a lot of boxers usually round it up. Yeah, six six in heels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My uh, on. yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Well, that's uh, that's great to hear, mate. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in action. And now I know you, you can't give anything away just yet about your opponent, uh, or any more than you have. But I did notice that there is a bloke uh, in New Zealand who holds the New Zealand cruiserweight title uh, in Jerome Pamplona, who is really more of a light heavy. Is that something that you wanna you wanna add to your collection of belts at some point? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm going to come for, for all the belts. We're in good time. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's proven to be uh, a bit of a problem at cruiserweight as well as as well as the light heavyweight. But, mm. um, you know, I think it was last up that both of them weighed in at uh, 192 and 187, which is uh, very, very small cruiserweights. And I think if they come up against the likes of, you know, a big cruiserweight like myself or I think he might be in line to fight Jai or Bataya pretty soon. Mm. Um, so that, like, that, like we're big guys and we're uh, over over however many rounds, it might be 10 or 12 rounds, that's going to really prove um, to be vital, you know. Um, but he's, yeah, and cr- yeah, credit to him, he's done, he's done bloody well to get there. Yeah, mate, I mean, that fight against Chucky Francis, who probably was, you know, the bigger guy. I thought I would be interested to see how Jerome dealt with the power, but it didn't seem to be an issue, and he, and he got Chucky out of there pretty quickly. I was uh, pretty impressed with performance. So, yeah, look forward to seeing you guys clash at some point. We should talk about Hemi Aheo as well. He's on the undercard. Uh, he's another New Zealand heavyweight. Mate, I mean, this part of the world at the moment, New Zealand, Australia, we're providing, uh, producing some great fighters. Oh, 100%. I, f- I feel like um, New Zealand is, like, quickly becoming... Uh, a combat sporting nation. You know, we're, we're great with our rugby, we're great with our rowing, our cycling, um, but I don't think we get a lot of credit for how many um, real-life killers we've got out there in the, in the realm of combat sports. So um, it's just a matter of time before 
you know, um, that comes to light. And, you know, I think um, Hemi, Hemi's one of them. His, uh, that entire, in that whole stable um, of CKB uh, creating some, some monsters in the, in the ring and the octagon in the cage. Um, you know, it's, it's been really cool to see. It has been, mate. It has been. Hey, David, thanks very much for giving us some time. I really appreciate it. Go well. Look forward to seeing you on the telly on the undercard of that Cambosis Haney fight in about a month's time, mate. Uh, look forward to seeing you uh, get your arm raised again and um, what comes next. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, David Nika there with us, a New Zealand boxer who's uh, doing great things. And, yeah, that October 16, TVNZ, free to air. You're going to see a world championship fight between Devin Haney and George Cambosis Jr. It is a rematch. Haney beat Cambosis Jr. earlier in the year, but Hemi Ahau and, of course, David Nika are both going to be on the undercard of that, and it is free to air October 16 on TVNZ. Great news for New Zealand fight fans. It is 16 past 11 here on... On SENZ. SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.21 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo in for Smithy, who is back tomorrow. Joining us now to talk NFL the first weekend of is Shiraz Soyser, the head coach of the New Zealand national flag football team. G'day Shiraz, how you doing? Hi, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Uh, of course, uh, a big weekend, first weekend. Uh, saw the Cowboys versus the Bucks yesterday. I had a sneaking suspicion that uh, Dallas might get up because the Bucks, you know, Tom Brady missed a lot of preseason, didn't have a lot of the weapons that he had last year. Uh, but yeah, Cowboys disappointed. Prescott gets a hand injury. That said, didn't think Brady and the Bucks looked all that either. No, I think I think both those teams, you know, had uh, had a lot of promise leading into this game. Um, I think the defenses were a lot more advanced in this one than the offenses. Mm. Tom Brady's still Tom Brady, so he, you know, it'll, it might take him a little little bit longer to wind up. But when he gets going, he is he's been there before. He's done it. Um, he's he's you know really good at execution. The the thing that Dallas had going is it's, their offense isn't quite what it used to be. They don't quite have the weapons and the depth of weapons around. C.D. Lamb didn't really stick out as a number one receiver uh, at the moment, and, and that connection to Dak it, it looked a bit bit shaky. Mm. Um, but you know, losing your starting left tackle, your most important bodyguard, as they say, that that played a big part as well, I think. And, and Dak didn't look quite comfortable in the pocket. Well, what do you what have you made, uh, if anything, of uh, both of the last season Super Bowl uh, teams losing in the first round this season? Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, um, the LA Rams, you know, they didn't look like what they were. Their offense was um, a shell of itself. I think, I think Matt Stafford's injury is a bit more concerning than I think they were playing on. He he turned up this year uh, with a bit of a um, elbow injury, and, and as as a quarterback, that's um, you know that's something he's going to ha- have to work through. But but look, in general, I think the LA Rams have a bit of work to do. Uh, if they are to turn around, the Cincinnati loss was actually quite a big surprise. I thought, um, mm. you know, they, they were playing Pittsburgh, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, has seen one of the teams um, who were meant to struggle this year. Uh, yes, they've got a young rookie quarterback, but they've got Mitchell Trubisky, who's who is playing their bridge quarterback role, uh, and a team that doesn't have a, a whole lot of um, pieces in the important places like the offensive line and, and, and parts of defense and, and they also lost the best pass rusher so yeah that was that was very interesting um, but it goes to show that in the NFL especially early in the season 
anyone can come out and, and you know, play a big game. Well, we saw that, didn't we, with the Chicago Bears upsetting the 49ers, who I think were probably NFC West uh, favourites going into this. Yeah, and, and, and the Bears would have been one of the, the lead vote-getters for the wooden spoon as well. So that was uh, that was a very pleasant surprise as a Bears fan, um, uh, knowing there's a lot of San Francisco fans and, and friends around the country. So uh, that was great. But look, there was a couple of them, wasn't there? There was Atlanta nearly getting up on New Orleans. I think New Orleans had to do everything to to win that by a, by a point. Um, Houston uh, tying with Indiana, mm. uh, and Houston were probably with the, the betting uh, favourites for that number one overall pick next year. So that was that was quite interesting. Um, and and you know, there was a couple more teams that were that were a lot more competitive than they than they perhaps were uh, afforded um, the right. I mean, New York Giants uh, went up and, and won as well. So yeah, early in the season, you know. Teams have a lot of players that are sort of hungry to prove themselves, and, and it feels like feels like that happened, um, and caught a few teams off surprise. Yeah, well, I mean, I think another one of those was probably the Vikings winning convincingly at Green Bay. I mean, the Vikings are always uh, a maybe wild card team, but that's about it. And Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, you always think they'll find a way, even though they'd lost Devontae Adams. But twenty three seven, it was it was pretty emphatic that one. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And look, the Vikings are looking uh, very much the favourites, uh, I think, in the NFC North. Um, I did have a chat to some of my Green Bay uh, Packers friends, as you do when you're a Bears fan, and they're not particularly worried at the moment. I mean, I think they lost their first game convincingly last year as well. Um, they turned it around, you know, won 13 games in the season. So it might take a few losses to get them worried. They've sort of been here and, and done that with, with season openers like this. So... Yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting storyline to watch um, as to who comes out of the NFC North. Yeah, and we also saw the Dolphins get up twenty to seven over the Pats. Uh, is it time for Belichick to go? Do you think? I mean, we we kind of figured out that Brady was the real talent of that uh, that duo. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I think it'll take a brave general manager to make that call. In in all honesty, and, and look, Robert Kraft's probably probably one who can afford that. But look, I, I think I think Belichick's here to stay. The the, the reality is the team has got to realise that they need weapons. Um, you know, Mac Jones doesn't really have a, a true number one to throw to. They've got, um, from memory, I think the ball went around to about 10 different receivers in the game and, and I don't think anyone had more than sort of three or four t- um, catches or targets. Um, and that's something that's really going to change um, because if a, if a team and a young quarterback is going to develop, they do need they do need pieces around that. But, you know, on the other hand, it's actually good to see Tyreek... Tyreek um, He'll actually get used uh, and and still be a big part of the offense uh, for for the Dolphins. So, yeah, I think we are seeing the changing of the guard in terms of that that comp- that division as well. I normally uh, refer to it as the NFC least, uh, but we've seen the Eagles, the Commanders, and the Giants all win this week, uh, which is has been interesting and sets that up well. And conversely, the NFC West, which looked like in the Cardinals, uh, you know, who obviously I think uh, they host the Super Bowl in Arizona this season. The Rams form, you know, were at the Super Bowl last year, the Super Bowl champions, and the 49ers, who one of the favourites out of the West, have all lost. And chances are, the other team in that division, the Seahawks, are going to lose today as well. Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's probably an excuse for all but one of those things. I think, you know, Kansas City uh, were looking extremely sharp. You know, I think Arizona um, are a good team. I don't think they're quite at that level, so um, I'd still give them a chance to bounce back and sort of be you know, thereabouts. Um, looking across the division, uh, I think 
the LA Rams, uh, was it? They, they did run into a bit of a buzzsaw uh, in in a very strong Buffalo team. Um, so again, you know, veteran teams, give them a chance. Uh, yeah, and, and I think the Seahawks are probably going to struggle. The, the San Francisco 49ers had no business losing, really. Um, but yeah, that was meant to be a strong division. I still think it will be. I still, still think there's three good teams in there. Um, but you know, it might take it might take a, a few games for them to turn around. Yeah, well, now we did mention at the top we've got one game left. Uh, it is the Broncos versus the Seahawks. Russell Wilson going going to visit his old team. Uh, we're going to take on his old team. Um, how do you see this game playing out? I've gone Denver fourteen plus. Where are you going? Yeah, I'd be heading that way as well. I mean, look, if if this weekend has told us anything, it's that you can't really count out. Uh, some of these teams that you know on paper uh, don't quite match up, but it'd be very, very you know, be very difficult to see the Seahawks finding a way um, to get through, especially without the, the talent at quarterback. And the teams that sort of did well uh, in those positions still had a reasonable quarterback, and I, I think the Seahawks are really just missing that. Um, and and yeah, so I think I think the Denver. Uh, Broncos 14 plus probably sounds uh, the direction I'd be going as well. Yeah, I mean, last season Seattle really struggled defensively, but they had a quarterback that could keep them in games. Now they've lost that quarterback. Have they done enough defensively to make them competitive? No, and and, and look, I mean, the way the way the Seahawks is really built is they need to be a team, and and, and their philosophy is a team that, based on a really strong defense and run game, um, they. You know, they build their platform and and work a play action passing game, which Russell Wilson was was un- unbelievably good at, especially you know getting out of the pocket and and being able to buy a bit more time than he needed to. Um, I don't think to begin with, I don't think the defense is strong enough to to be able to manage that game plan, uh, and their run game is definitely not um, proven enough to be able to execute that. So when you come down with that pass, uh, and then you're all of a sudden forced to pass it a lot more. You, you get taken out of your comfort zone, and I, and I do worry if they get down uh, whether they really have a path to come back into the game. Good stuff, Shiraz. Thanks very much for giving us some time today, mate. Great to chat uh, NFL with you, mate, and enjoy, enjoy the rest of the season, no doubt. We'll talk again soon. No worries. Thanks, Ricardo. Go well, mate. Yeah, you too. Shiraz Soyser there with us, the head coach of the New Zealand National Flag Football Team, talking some NFL. That game uh, between Denver and Seattle, not far away from kicking off. It is also not far away from kicking off for Stumped. If you want to win a $100 TAB bonus bet, 0800-150-811. Give us a call and uh, we will uh, yeah put you up against me and see if I can stump you that TAB bonus bet could be all yours right after the latest in news and sport with Aroha Hathaway. Match here Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job You know what time it is 11.30 here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. It's time for Stumped Last time for Ricardo for a potential stumping before Smithy takes his rightful honour place back behind the stumps there with his expertise in all things sport. You ready to go, mate? Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I'm looking for a challenge today because I didn't get one yesterday. Uh, it was like the Kiwis playing Lebanon, Scotland and Micronesia yesterday, wasn't it? There was not much going on. Yeah, to be fair, uh, I mean, for those that didn't catch stump yesterday, phone lines were down. So we revo- reverted back to uh, the olden days where we got people into the studio. Uh, we had a couple of uh, staffers who 
will remain nameless uh, for their sake. Didn't do too well. So we're up for a 150 uh, TAB bonus bet. Now it's not 100. It's two, it's 150, sorry. Uh, so lot to play for here. Joining us first at the crease, we're going to Gore and we're going to Reed. Come in, mate. G'day, Ricardo and Logan. How are we? Good, mate. Good. You? Yeah, no, not too bad. Not too bad. All right, let's Ready get to it. Ready for a good comp anyway. Let's get to it, mate. Let's get to it. What do you fancy? <laughs> All right, we'll see how you go. Uh, these are the topics today for you to choose from. Reed, we've got the NFL, Rugby League, and the Champions League. Take your pick. And we'll go Rugby League. All right. Ooh. Nine times out of ten, I feel like Rugby League always gets picked. <laughs> <laughs> Such as the station, we all have our footy here. Okay, first question for you, Reed. In what year did the Parramatta Eels last win a premiership? Ooh, um, I'd say it's a very long time ago. Uh, I'll go 1986. That's not couple of chips, no, no, we get nicely played, Reed. Yes, that was a setup. Just a reminder, Ricardo. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> yeah, I knew you. Yeah, I feel like we all know that answer now. All right, second question for you, Reid. Prior to Sunday's chaotic elimination final between the Rabbitohs and the Roosters, the previous record for most Sinbins in a match was five set way back in the year of my birth, 1986, at North Sydney Oval. Actually, used to live just down the road from there. Who were the two teams in that match? Um, I'll go, I'll go Rabbitohs and Roosters again. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo? Well, given it was at North Sydney Oval, one of them's probably going to be the Bears. And yep. the other one, given if it was going to be that nasty, I'm going to say maybe it's their near neighbours Manly. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, unlucky read there. There was a bit of a hint there. North Sydney Oval, North Sydney Bears. That was their uh, their home ground. And yes, a lot of a lot of history there between the Bears and the Sea Eagles. Oh, yeah, uh, great. Uh, Bears had a great team back then too. Michael Florimo was in there. Jason Taylor, Daryl Halligan as well. There was some good players running around there. Yes, all players. I, aside from Hal- yeah, I heard of some of those names. Halligan, okay, at least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so coming up to the crease now, we've got Luke from Dunedin, mate. Come in. Morning, man. How are we? Yeah, good, mate. Good. You ready? You ready? This could be yours. 150 TAB bucks. Yeah. Let's give it a go. All right. Last question here. Rugby League. 26th of August, 2011. Of course, we know that as the Battle of Brookvale. That's all players across the park brawling for five minutes. But what was the final score there between the Sea Eagles and the Melbourne Storm? Oh, <laughs> final score. I'll go 20 points to four. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, the final score is probably not something people really remember about that iconic day in uh, yeah. footy, but Ricardo? Well, I could probably remember how many how many punches landed uh, closer to getting the score, but uh, I'm going to... Uh, this is a Hail Mary. I'm going to go 26-14. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Luke actually was closer. 18-4 to Manly was the correct answer. So that does mean by the rules, 
handed down in the stumped handbook. You have won, Luke. Congratulations, oh, one fifty. Thank you. What are you going to put it on, Luke? Oh well, I'm going to look at the league this weekend. I'd say, and um, you yeah, know, we're going to we're going to look at uh, what have we got? Sharks. Sharks taking on the playing? rabbits. Oh yeah, and you'd have to think. I that... think rabbits. I think rabbits. Really? Because I wonder how many of them yeah. are going to be able to play this weekend after all the people on report last week. Oh, what an intense game that was. Yeah. It was indeed, awesome. Indeed, mate. All right, hey, listen, well, whatever you do with it, good luck. Uh, fingers crossed it fills the beverage. Cheers, man. Thank you. Cheers. It is uh, 22 away from 12 here on SENZ. We're going to catch up with Staff and Sam Hewitt before midday. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 17 away from midday here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy back for you tomorrow. After midday, uh, staff is going to be with you, and uh, the man that makes staff sound good is Sam Hewitt. He's in the studio with me now. G'day, Sammy. How you doing? Good, mate. How are we? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. What's going on? Oh, mate. Um, lots, isn't there? Tons. God, there's lots going on. It's uh, it's hard to keep a track of it all, to be honest. But, um, yeah, look, we've got big day today as well with um, some team namings. Which is going to fire yes. up the phones, I'm sure. Yeah, that will fire yeah, up yeah. the phone, phones from 12. Yeah, but um, I'll tell you what, Ricardo, yeah. um, lots coming up on Spark Sport this week. Um, our good mates at Spark Sport who um, like Formula One. I'm mm-hmm. a massive Formula One fan, and it's fantastic having it. Um, you know, you can get the, the Formula One app, but it's great having it on Spark Sport because obviously you get alongside all the other stuff. But all the features, you can watch races from the start, you can watch highlights, um, you can change cameras, you know, all, all the, the great stuff that you can normally do. You can, mm. I'm pretty sure you can even switch the commentary feed as well. Um, we got in Formula One this weekend because, uh, of course, the Russian Grand Prix got cancelled thanks to. What uh, was that again? Oh, something to do with a, you know, an invasion. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> but um, right. I'll tell you what we do have. And I'm very excited mm. for Champions League football, given we didn't have Premier League over the weekend. Yeah. So we've got Champions League football coming up tomorrow. And I know you talked about this at the top of your show. Um, Liverpool Ajax, mm. kick off at 6am. Uh, yep. And uh, you'll love this about Spark Sport. You can, if you're late to it, like you probably will be for me, 6.30, mm. you'll wake up a little bit after. Um, you can watch from the beginning. You mm. just go in, you select watch from the beginning, and you just watch the game right from the start. Yep. Um, and they've obviously got all the highlights on there as well. But we've got all the games on tomorrow morning. So you've got Liverpool Ajax at 6 o'clock. You've got Porto uh, Bruges at 6.50. You've got Bay Liverpool. Leverkusen, Atletico, 650, and then Bayern, Barcelona at 650 as well. Mate, looking forward to this one. That'd be great, eh? Well, Robert Lewandowski, yes. so long at Bayern, now at Barca, agitated for the move, didn't leave on great terms. Really? Did he not want to go? No, he wanted to go. Oh, they right. didn't want to they leave, leave him. Well, fair enough on yeah. their part. Because um, he's scoring goals for them, isn't he? Oh, mate, he's scoring, well. scoring for fun in Barcelona. And, and Barcelona um, have started really well, and Bayern have drawn their last three. Right, and they've got Sadio Mane. Yeah. Didn't he score a hat-trick or maybe a couple in his first game? And the yeah. sort of Liverpool fans are like, oh, my gosh, what are we what, what are we, we do? doing? But they had to let him go, didn't they, to I, keep Salah, really? Pretty much. It was either was, one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, there was a lot of talk, nothing official official, but there was a lot of talk that those two didn't really get on. Really? Yeah. And they, okay. They That's interesting. They often to each other. Well, they always, like that. The, the stories about Sadio Mane were always that he is a real humble, you know, he obviously comes from, is it Senegal? Yeah. Um, very humble background, you know, he walks around with a broken phone that has a cracked screen, doesn't buy luxury cars, or, or maybe there was this car he bought and everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's the first time he's spent money. So there's this sort of image around him that he's very, very humble. So um, that surprises me that he sort of would clash with a with a seller, but yeah. formidable when they had both of them on the park, one on one side, one on the other, and hundred percent, hundred percent. Firmino so, up front. Oh mate, this game's going to be a cracker. I yeah. reckon it'll be goals. Like I've picked, I'm in a picking league. I've yes. picked three all. 
this for the IX game? No, no. Oh, for sorry, the, sorry, for the Barca game. Yeah, game. okay, yeah. Well, it could yeah. be a draw, actually. Yeah. Both, yeah, both sort of struggling to find wins, I yeah. guess. Yeah, um, and the draw is paying four bucks at the tap. Well, there you go. That's not bad. Okay, so that's at six. Uh, that's kicks off, kicks off, kicks off I should yeah. say, at 6.50 tomorrow morning. That's on Spark. Um, and then on Thursday, um, I'm interested in the 6 o'clock game on Thursday, 6 a.m., that is uh, City Dortmund. Um, yeah, just because Dortmund, once again, is a, is a big German club, and then uh, we all know Man City and their Champions League woes. Yes. I mean, And the, it gosh. is the Erling Haaland derby now too, isn't it? Yeah, true. Very true. Oh, look, we're full of matchups of guys going up against their former, you know, yeah. or diff- their former clubs. This is fantastic. So City-Dortmund, and um, the big question, obviously, is have City found the missing piece in Haaland to win the Champions League, you know? Is yeah, that, I think there's every chance, because yeah. one of the things that Pep's teams have been guilty of in the past is trying to walk the ball into the net. Right, I too see. Too much ticky-tacker, if yep. you like. Yep. Uh, Haaland gives them a direct option. Yeah, and the thing is, too, it, it, Man City, I feel like, have never transitioned from when you play English teams, right? The the way they play, you can get away with it. But that's what's great about the Champions League. You come up against sides from different countries that all play different styles and they're different leagues. You know, some leagues are more open, some leagues are a lot more what we call agricultural. Um, and you know, so so you come up against these different styles and sometimes I feel like City have struggled with that, right? Yep. They haven't been able to adapt. Um, Liverpool have been very good at working that out, working yeah. other European clubs out. It's probably because, you know, Jürgen's a bit of a tactical genius. But well, he's, got, he's got his work cut out. I, yeah, and I heard you guys talking this morning about whether or not maybe it's time he's run his course. Have you seen that stat about how seven years in? He always mm. leaves the club seven he's years in. He's got the seven-year itch, mate. We need, the, we need the X-Files music for that. Now, <laughs> another one that I wanted to bring up with you as well is mm. actually Thursday at 6.20 in the morning. So mm. if you've um, had enough of the uh, of the Man City game, and I know there's a lot of anti-Man City fans out there, um, we've got a warm-up World Cup, Women's World Cup game. Oh, yeah. So this is on Spark, 6.20 yeah. Thursday morning, yeah. England v Wales. Now, the reason why I highlight that is because England are the number one team in the world, in yep. women's rugby. They are the team that everyone thinks is going to be favourites heading into this World Cup. Yep. We've got Black Ferns team day today. If you want to have a little eye at the opposition, see what we're up against, yeah. England-Wales on Thursday. Fantastic call, actually. Yeah. Because well, yeah. the big question for me is I think the Black Ferns have done a lot. They've mm-hmm. progressed a lot for that Northern Tour. Yes. Have they progressed enough to be competitive with France and England? Spot on. And that's going to be the question probably for the All Blacks as well, is, is, you know, we can probably beat Australia and, you know, we obviously got up against Argentina in game two, but it's when we're up against England and France and South Africa, you know, that uh, that the question's got to be asked. So there you go, Thursday 6.20 for uh, the uh, Women's World Cup warm-up. So there you go, we've got Champions League, we've got Women's World Cup, of course we've got NFL on Spark as well uh, over the weekend, week mate. two, so... Got it all. Jam-packs, mate. Yeah, Spark Absolutely Sport. C-Sport differently. This month on Spark Sport, you can catch Formula One US Open has just finished, of course. Rugby Sevens uh, World Cup has just finished as well, Champions League, but they've got so much sport up for grabs. Uh, you can jump on it all. Now, I know you're also a big leaguey, Sam. Yes. Uh, you, you know, you host our league show. You're our, our Warriors commentator as well. I thought you'd be interested in this. Former Warrior and Kiwi Isaiah Papali'i talking about his future. How important is this looming game for you personally to ensure that it's not your last game in an Eels jersey? Um, yeah, it's pretty obvious uh, what's, what's um, on the line this week for, for both teams. And I think for me personally, I want to make sure that I play every game like it's my last, but also uh, do my job and my part to ensure that we do have another another week ahead of us. Your deal with the Tigers has been much talked about. I mean, can you confirm right here, right now, that you <laughs> will be at the Tigers come pre-season um, for the 2023 season? For me, um, what we have at hand at the moment is 
a massive opportunity and it's a do or die so I'm kind of focused right now on uh, this Friday night and what I can do for this club right here and now. You understand Tigers fans want to hear you say it. Yeah, uh, I'm sure everyone wants to hear it but I can't say anything just now really focused on the 2022 season and uh, that's what I'm completely 100% focused on. Does that mean there's a chance you still might not be going or...? Uh, like I said, I can't really comment on it and it's just, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, but you do have a deal, so why the reluctance to, to say, yeah, I'll, I'll be there for something as simple as pre-season? Um, I, I guess because this is the year that I want to focus on and once this year is done then I can uh, sit down with my manager and obviously talk through those things and uh, figure out what's going on come next season. Tim Sheens and Benji Marshall, when they gave you a call, what did they talk about? Uh, just what what their direction is leading forward and what type of coaching role Benji was going to have and how Tim was going to help him. So uh, it was pretty straightforward and it was nice to, to talk to them and hear what, what they had to say and what they were looking for, uh, not only this season coming but uh, in the future. Has Brad been trying to get you to stay? <laughs> nah, he, he understands. Um, everyone has their own journey and what my journey is so he's been supportive of whatever uh, the de- decision was uh, Sam your mm. uh, reaction for that well, if, you, if you're a TOB bookie what chances were in yellow <laughs> and black next year uh, orange uh, and black next year uh, mate, probably, probably talking 50-50 there aren't you mm. that's so bizarre because all the I mean like the Tigers have announced him as a signing for 2023 like that was all over their social media it was all over there send it out to members you know it's by all measures he's signed for the Tigers mm. so Good on the reporter for um, pushing him because yeah. most probably would have backed down after he said, "Oh, I'm just focusing on next." He said, "But you can understand people want yeah. to know." I mean, it's a simple answer. Yes Are you going? No. To, you know, Brandon Smith had no problem saying he was going to the Roosters. You can still say I'm focusing on. Brandon Smith said he was going to the Roosters before he was going to the Roosters. Exactly before the Roosters <laughs> knew he was going. Let's be honest, before they even signed him. But he's happy to talk about it and still say, "Hey, but I'm focusing on this year." So. It's very bizarre, and you can tell by his caginess that there's obviously something else going on there. Maybe he's an anti-Benji fan. Maybe. Or an anti-Sheensy. There was some talk about him wanting to come home and being homesick. Well, Maybe the Warriors could pull that card. Yeah, football's coming home, mate. Football football's is coming, coming home. home. Did you see, just quickly, did you see that um, someone said that the letter that the Queen gave to the Sydney... Um, the city of Sydney that's got to be opened after 100 years. Have no, you seen it? She no. wrote it in 1986. It's yeah. going to be opened in 2086. Mm. No one knows what's written on it. Someone texted me yesterday. It just has a couple of words. It's coming home. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice, nice work, Sammy Hewitt. Uh, he will be part of uh, staff this afternoon. Staff show this afternoon from midday. And speaking of staff, he'll be in with us next. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.